0: all right there we go uh good afternoon good evening welcome to the alameda health system board of trustees meeting for july 26th uh 25th sorry um we're going to convene for a very brief closed session or uh uh yeah so um do you need to do roll call first okay do it
1: trustee debreez i'm here trustee banerjee here trustee hernandez here trustee avalada is not here trustee jensen here trustee bouquet here trustee peterson here and
0: Chesty she quinn here we have a forum all right let's go um oh uh, what am i supposed to say we're adjourning, we're adjourning. the closed session for what stuff uh so applicable law. Uh, law. law okay we'll be back I promise we'll take it quick let's go what
1: time
0: you all right we're reconvening the board meeting Um uh, uh,
2: <laughs>
3: like the to to well I'm trying to get us moving we have people waiting for
0: us so, um, oh it's public comment of course all right I have uh, let's see I'm just going to read off everyone we've got a handful of speakers uh, Dr. Freed Mike McAdoo Joe Rose hey Joe one time no see Martha Bader and Laurie Mossett and we'll give you each two minutes and um, try to honor that if you can how many minutes
4: huh three
0: I said
3: two. I
0: have to change the clock. <laughs> and, and let me just say for our folks uh, that might be wanting to speak tonight about the um, uh, behavioral health uh, outpatient uh, situation, because I, I, I know I, I can see a lot of you are going to come speak on that. I just want to assure you that no decisions have been made on this consolidation. I think that our staff have taken to heart the direction that the board gave them to engage with the staff that are actually working at the facility I know some meetings have happened I know you're shaking your head but I'm going to tell you that they will not make any decision without coming to this board first I just want to make that absolutely clear um, we're very aware of what's going on I think that there needs to be more dialogue about the, um, the, the, the um, uh, the program and 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 the numbers and I think that's happening and I think that's good and um, if that shortens any of your remarks to know that we are paying close attention and nothing is going to happen until it comes back to this board I just want to assure you of that and with that come on up I don't no no, no particular order just come on up Pizza.
4: Okay, no okay. All right. thank you for those uh, remarks, Lord President. I want to uh, clarify that we have not been approached by the administration. Oh, oh yeah, do do say your name. Uh, we'll Dr. Creed, Cle- the, the manager line. of uh, outpatient psych at Fairmont. So just to clarify, the administration has not come to us um, with any um, uh, offering or uh, plan for a correction other than to let us know that consolidation mm-hmm. is moving forward. Okay. So just want to clarify I, I, that. And I, just, I appreciate. I, I'm sorry, th- but I've just
0: been told the exact opposite. I, I just I,
4: have okay. we made a decision around consolidation. No, we have not. Okay. Okay. So I was told that I, I don't staff know told is that. is meeting with labor relations to look at uh, laying off the staff at Highland. So nobody's come to us. No,
2: we, about we, let me be clear. We, we, we're still assessing all of our options and plans, but we have not made any decisions. Okay. So, yeah, there are meetings and discussions occurring. Absolutely. There are okay. no decisions have uh, been
4: made. We would love to sit down with administration and go over the numbers and have more transparency about uh, our plan of correction and why they are so adamant about uh, the closure plan. We don't. We don't see that that is necessary financially. We're fine, um, even in, in spite of the fact that they're they're having us take on another two million dollars in uh, overhead costs. So uh, we've submitted that plan of correction. In spite of that, we can still balance our budget, and and that's basically the the message that we want to get across is that we really shouldn't even be in this discussion in terms of the 66 million dollar deficit because we have been contributing. Uh, 500000 to to $1 million to AHS's budget for 20 years uh, up until this year successfully uh, under the previous administration. Um, and we're very surprised that all of a sudden that we're, we're losing this, this amount of money. It doesn't make sense to us, hasn't been explained clearly, uh, and we want to be clear. Um, that, on our look at the numbers, it doesn't make sense, and we do believe that we can balance that budget and not be part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution and and continue to provide the services to the patients that need that care. Thank you.
5: Mike McAdoo. Can you hear me? Mike McAdoo, uh, Outpatient Psych Services, Highlands, and thank you for that. That's going to shorten my speech a little bit here, um, you know, and thanks to Vecchio for talk about that, uh, you know, decisions we made. I just think that, you know, mental health is very important for, you know, not just Oakland, but across the country. Uh, Time Magazine came up with an article that, you know, mental health a new direction, I mean, they're adding programs, not consolidating, they're not, you know, uh, eliminating, and I just want to be a part of the conversation that, uh, that we expand or look at our programs and look at it a little differently and, um, you know, be a part of the solution here. So. That's my time. I yield the rest of my time, too.
1: <laughs> Thank Thanks, Mike. Hi. Uh, so, uh, you know, here I am again. Um, Martha Bader. Um, I think when we were here last month, you know, we presented, and we've uh, gotten a little bit better at being succinct, which is great, and we've done a lot of conversations with people in the meantime. And I just want to point out kind of the elephant in the room. Our administration is saying, I mean, our, our directors are saying no one has approached them about solving this problem. Meetings are happening without us in the room. And that is super discouraging. This is a program that could be easily saved. No one's actually fighting for it except our staff rank and file. That's crazy and sad. And the other thing is that we went to the Board of Supervisors, and they were more interested than the administration has been. So it's just sad. And there may be other reasons that we don't know about. No one's telling us. No one's telling our directors. You know, it's it's just sad, that's all I'm saying. So I think the message is clear, you guys have a retreat tomorrow. We really appreciated your words of support last month and we were encouraged. When nothing happened in the intervening month, we're like, What the hell is going on? So I hope you
6: guys will be talking about that tomorrow. Thanks. Thank you. Sure. Okay, I'm just gonna jump in really quickly. I'm, I'm one of the therapists there and I've been working there for about 19 years. I'm actually the liaison coordinator too, so I go to PS and John George and I bring people. And I just wanna let you guys know, I have had the pleasure of seeing so many clients who've been in and out of John George and PES get so much from our program. And to, underst- to hear that Such an amazing program is about to leave Oakland that brings so much to the community, makes me so beyond sad as a social worker. One of the reasons that I don't get burnout because we see results. And I'm just really, really wanting to find out what is happening that all of a sudden this is coming up. I've been there for so long and this has never been a concern. So I just need some clarity. just to let you guys know, it's been really hard to do my job knowing that I am not supported by higher ups. So I just want to say that. And I want to really continue to do the work that I am doing now. Okay. So can I take Thank
1: you. One, I take the a minute, last minute? I just want to say one exactly. more thing. Sorry, because I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, obviously, with the motion. But, yeah, I have been in public policy before, as I think I told you guys last time. And I'm sure you all who have been to understand, like, programs often get sidelined, they get kind of. Mortally wounded during changes, unintended consequences happen, or good programs get destroyed. And then five years later, someone's like, Oh, God, that was a mistake. We need a program just like that. You spend tons of money to try and recreate it. How many good programs have been destroyed by kind of unintended consequences, or people weren't paying attention, or they had other priorities? I think we all know you guys have a huge problem in front of you with the large deficit. We actually are in support. You're doing a good job, this is a really hard job, you have a very intractable problem. I just don't want while you guys are distracted by all this for people to like sort of off in the periphery let something tragic happen. That later on you're gonna regret and it's gonna truly damage people in this county. And that happens all the time and you guys probably know that. So, last plea, sorry,
0: thanks. I'm sure it won't be the last. Was that it? Yep. Uh, I just want to point out, figuratively and liter- literally you are not in the periphery. You are truly front and center right now. Uh, and so we'll, we'll keep paying attention. Thanks. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Uh, yeah, Joe. There he is. I knew he was coming. Hiding in the back. President DeFreeze, distinguished uh, trustees, staff. Hi. Right. I am a uh, Joe Rose, President and Chief Executive Officer for NAMI Alameda County South, that's the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and I did provide you with a handout here, so that if I don't get through the list in two minutes, at least you have that in your. Yeah. We have a, a program called Mentor on Discharge, which was shown to reduce rehospitalizations by over 72 uh, percent, and those that uh, did get rehospitalized, the amount of time between hospitalizations was extended from two to six months. And as a result of the uh, non-renewal of the contract that we had with AHS, um, basically the result of the program was uh, cost per bed was just going to stay the same. Cost per patient is reduced. Reduced demand for beds. Uh, re, uh, more patients can be served with the same uh, uh, dollars for the beds. Uh, reduced police interventions uh, reduced, uh, due to the re, uh, reduced rehospitalizations. Uh, reduced demand for ambulance and psychiatric transports and reduce patient trauma associated with police and uh, ambulance uh, encounters. So with the loss of the contract, the only thing that stays the same is the cost per bed. Uh, others, the, uh, the cost per patient will be increased. Uh, uh, the re- reduced demand for beds will be increased. Uh, fewer patients can be served at the same number of beds, and so forth. We'll have increased uh, uh, ambulances and, and police interventions. So what I'm looking at right now is the responsibility, the primary responsibility is that of uh, uh, AHS or behavioral health care services to fund this or or go forward with it. And what I'm going to be doing in the meantime is I'm going to try to determine uh, where primary responsibilities reside, the qualifying, some of the costs associated with this, and seek additional funding uh, resources for the program. As you know, that I have been able to do that in the past with uh, Kaiser Permanente funding and other funding, so I will be out personally looking for funding to support this program. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Joe. Good to see you again. Good to see you. You do good work.
3: All right. I believe that's...
0: Is that it? Okay. really it. Cool. All right. Um, it's time for our medical staff reports, and we have a, a special guest standing in for Dr. Ballard. It's Dr. Subramanian, right? Yes. I believe you might know someone else on this board. Yes, I know someone. <laughs> yeah, great. Let's. <laughs> I know you guys to give your report to QPSC, but give us the condensed version. Yeah.
7: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for letting me.
8: Down.
7: <laughs>
8: yeah. So thanks for letting me present. Um, so I will just give a brief report of the core medical staff meeting from this last, um, last month. Uh, our core MEC met, and one of the big focus points was credentialing. And uh, we actually had a huge accomplishment. I think it was a record of 183 positions that we credentialed and approved. Hmm. Um, and I think this was mostly due to the SLH. Sure. Folks joining the core medical staff oh, right Right? but this is we actually had two meetings and a lot of heavy lifting to get all those charts reviewed and everyone on board so we're really excited about that um, the other thing uh, professional services contracts we had some non-physician contracts those were approved um, an update on the surge process we are very happy Dr. Tornabene pro- provided a, a great presentation and some great data on the surge process um, surge read We've had a lot of improvements, we've had many more days in the green, far less red days, far less yellow days, even orange days. So we're very uh, impressed through the effort of many people working in the throughput committee and otherwise that we are seeing some change and we're hopeful for some sustained change in this area. Another thing that we're really excited about is Dr. Jean Hearn uh, is coordinating efforts around uh, survivors of trauma, heart alerts, and ICU care here at our hospital to come in and have a reunion, and sort of a celebration of the victories of everything that has happened. So we're going to start, we're going to do them separately. Uh, trauma separately, ICU, and all the cardiac patients separately. And we're in the process of planning for that first reunion. So I'm pretty excited about that. Dr. Victorino, uh, chair of surgery, also presented a very inspirational and forward-minded presentation about the vision for the surgery department. Lots of interesting changes. I actually was not at the presentation, but Dr. Ballard reports that they, it was a really great um, presentation with lots of inspiration and exciting ideas for the future and then finally we are close to um, finalizing the san leandro hospital leadership committee charter it's in its final stages of just dealing with details of the language etc and i think this will really allow for a more successful transition of slh to our core medical staff and, and the tenor is really people are excited to have a new group of people um, provide um, more voice, more opinion, and uh, more opportunity for change.
0: Right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, just a quick question. So, um, Dr. Injun, we'll still have you at the table here, right? Yes. Correct. Okay. Cool. Because I, I really like having the voice from all over the um, the system. Okay. Cool. Um, I appreciate that. And I assume for, for the doctors' epic is uh, it's looming, right?
8: It's coming. We're so in the thick of it. You guys are already right.
0: Cool. Awesome. Okay. Um, Dr. Ingenio.
5: Sure. I'll provide the uh, San Leandro report. Um, Credential and privileges uh, were discussed. There were 47 resignations, but that's really related to physicians who weren't actively participating in the medical staff. And this drop-off happened with people essentially who were not going to apply in that 183 that came over. Um, And so that really did not affect the core group of physicians that are actively uh, practicing there. But that I think it was a, a good thing, actually, to not have those physicians on staff who working at the facility. Um, the uh, non-physician contracts were approved. The quality metrics are in the, the uh, um, book there. And Tanvir will discuss those, I'm sure. Um, Sapphire um, uh, training is ongoing. There have to be some adjustments, which I think are being worked out, um, because many or most of the physicians who practice at san leandro aren't doing the outpatient part of that so they're going to hopefully be able to curtail some of that training that's not relevant to the physicians um at the uh at san leandro and and i think there's a little less concern on some of the physicians part because many of them are staff on staff at other facilities that already use Epic, so oh. they are very familiar with with it i mean there are obviously differences and nuances to every system but remember that the items can be transferred and even, for example, our vascular um, order sets are just going to be used, because all that is public domain within EPIC. So mm. we're just transferring a lot of that over. That's so I, cool. I don't think that's going to be a huge problem. I'm more concerned about the staff as our as the MAC being able to adopt it, uh, a staff that has not used any kind of really viable electronic medical record. Mm. Um, so that is a concern, and, and one that we've uh, uh, voiced on a number of occasions, having the, the bandwidth uh, to really provide the patient care, because productivity will go down um, and for a significant period of time. Uh, pathology services are going to be merged with the, uh, we had a nice meeting last night of our uh, medical exec, or actually of our medical staff, uh, sort of the final meeting, and we honored Dr. Collins after 37 years as the chief pathologist at the wow. facility. Yeah, and still very active. Time um and he's a fabulous pathologist but that i think transition is being worked out well um there's a lot of discussion at rmc about the emergency department staffing i think there's still um issues with uh, spree Corps there um, with uh, significant changes and uh, i think that the bottom line that i got from that was um, especially from the emergency department director was they want to be more engaged in helping with transition and changes they understand that they exist but when they're dropped on them like a bomb especially right before the flu season which happened last year it did not go well they were not happy about it and and it led to some attrition of staff and nursing um which did not help matters in that acute moment so they have asked to be part of the process as much as possible because it has not been the case at all previously Mm -hmm. um so hopefully that will Uh, occur the medical staff leadership structure you know I have not seen anything about what the document will be for the the uh, leadership council at San Leandro hopefully I'll see that soon and we can uh, provide some input what we think would be helpful um, to uh, be able to provide as much information as possible to the the overall MEC um, in the function and day-to-day operations of the facility Um, So, I think that's going well. I don't think there have been any issues. Really, there's a lot of things that need to be worked out in terms of peer review and and divisional meetings. Certain divisions still really do need to have some local meetings, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the reality is, you know, there are a lot of uh, uh, meetings here that physicians will not come in the middle of the day to a departmental meeting in medicine or surgery. on a routine basis because it's just a different practice model and they're not available. You know, our meetings tend to be in the evenings. So, yeah. Okay. Um, but we'll see. That should all flesh out, I think, well. And that, that concludes my report. I
0: have a question for you. In regard to the concern for staff that when changes happen, they don't feel engaged, do you have, I mean, from your perspective, and you're at our meetings, do you have recommendations for our board for how we can address that in so a meaningful way? Like, you know, I, I think,
5: you know, this is not relevant to my expertise, it's, it's more the emergency department that I've seen. And, and I think from the, the director of the emergency department, they completely understand that there needs to be changes, modifications, and adjustments in staffing. Um, it's, uh, I think it's more engagement from the administration with them when those changes are going to be made to, to, to have some discussion and to try to, uh, I think they want to be there to try to provide caveats that the the ramifications of what this change are going to be, the reality of how that will be once um, it's enacted, may be a little different than expected. And so they, they want to try to help preempt problems by being engaged in the process earlier. That's the, the the discussion that I'm getting back um, from the directors there.
0: And I imagine with the... Um Finishing up with the rehab, there's going to be even more transitions, uh, ultimately for the better, but over the next several months. Uh, Traumatizing to the ER,
8: level two EPA, five minutes. Traumatizing to the ER, level two EPA, five
0: minutes. Uh, so, actually, uh, Luis, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, is there like a set standing? Uh, check in with them that kind of keeps them updated on the changes that are happening especially with the rehab uh, construction and all that is that is that formalized i guess is the question well so
9: what we do is we provide a report every well uh, up until now but we provide a report at every mec Mm -hmm. uh, where we have various leaders of the medical staff and we share uh, an update on our essentially financials on our uh, operating performance as a facility, our patient experience, and recently over the past year ob- of the uh, of the rehab project itself. Yeah,
2: so I think Dr. uh Dr. Jamalad uh, Dr. Dr. is not here. I, he does physician forums with the medical staff, I think, on a quarterly basis. Periodically, yeah. I, I don't know exactly yeah. when yeah, that Dr. is. Gassant. No, the rehab
5: updates have been, you know, very thorough. I, there's no issues with that. And everyone's excited to because... A whole half a floor of inpatient beds will come online yeah and and, and that's huge because that's been part of the issue assuming they're staffed I mean that it doesn't make much difference if they're not staffed right but assuming we want them to come online yes right um, so um, that hopefully will help some of the backlog in the ED you know the, the some of the complaints of the backlog in the ED though is actually orders that need to go to John George and psych and transfers and there's not much you can do with those people um, other than await the beds where they can go. And that all, that backlogs the, uh, the ED. At least that's what I'm told um, mm-hmm. from the director. So So um, that, and then, you know, the the delay in getting patients up to a bed really backs up the ED as well. And that's a staffing thing. You know, that's a floor nurse staffing thing.
0: No, it's not a bed thing.
5: But, no, no, the bed's built. So... Um, hopefully, and that will be, you know, hopefully better um, as time goes on. Uh, the, uh, we'll see. I mean, it's been brought up with Lori Foytel and, and the other.
10: Okay. All right. Uh, Dr. Ngino, I'll, I'll uh, thank you for the report. I'll repeat a question that I asked in QPSC for the l- larger board who wasn't there. So uh, in five days, uh, on June 31st, your medical staff uh, begins July July 31st Uh, on August 1st you become a merged medical staff Uh, and the same question I asked before can you describe the tenor of of the atmosphere for the San Leandro medical staff in anticipation of this merger I
5: think it's it's uh, upbeat overall I mean I was asked that question what's different what's going to be different in five days and I said nothing that I can perceive in terms of daily operations and and the work that you do here um, I think on a administrative level in terms of MEC departmental level there's there's a lot of differences and those things need to be fleshed out a bit still but I, I think it would be fine I, I'm not too worried about that I think more people are concerned about productivity during the implementation of Sapphire a lot of
11: people, people are, are welcoming it because a lot of the hospitals especially have a lot of
5: experience with it so they know how to make that, that work well right you know that's did,
11: well did I understand that. you to yeah. say that yeah. the staff at San Leandro Hospital are, are moving from no electronic health record to a health record? Yes, yeah. correct. So well, there is, there is some
5: version of a very old electronic health record which has laboratory data and some dictated reports and oh. things like that. But they're chart, paper charts. It's
12: mainly yeah. paper
0: yeah. So that's With massive. With clipboards. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, mainly paper charts. Yeah. Correct. We saw that, uh, I, I saw that at Alameda on, when I was touring there as well. It's like. Same thing. Yeah. Pencil. S- so
2: they yeah. both have it, they both Cook use a system called Meditech, uh, different instances of it. To be clear, Meditech has upgraded versions. We just don't have We them stayed with the old, We And <laughs> the one at uh, San Leandro. The, the oldest one is, that exists. Yeah. <laughs> this was the one when, <laughs> when we were getting your approval for Epic. We told you this was through a contract that used to be with not HCA, but the other for-profit company, the one out of
9: Texas. Sutter? tenant. Tenant, tenant and, it down. and the people, yeah,
2: we're the only one in the country that's still on it. And they were like, think mainframe, like, <laughs> yeah, this thing goes I, down. I, I
0: got to tell you,
5: like though, t-
2: when you, <laughs> yeah, to get data it it
5: out of that system, yeah. it's so TI simple, 25. it's so efficient, right? I mean, See upside you know, yeah. not even a mouse. It's, you know, like arrows back and forth, then. but it, it, once you know how to do it, the stuff that's there is extremely accessible. And the other, the other thing I might add, having been through a number of these transitions, and even having been through... The Southern one, the two facilities, five years ago, it is still less efficient to do a lot of the things you do on an electronic medical record. <laughs> yes, yeah. much less efficient. <laughs> very honest. Right? It's a trade-off. Wow, <laughs> it, it takes the doctors yeah. more time. Right. Okay. You know, and in our office too, you know, we have a whole new category of employee in our office that we never had, which are called scribes. They <laughs> follow us around right. and document stuff to, to keep us efficient. Otherwise. We would spend hours a day typing at the end of the day. And, or the complaint I've gotten from many physicians, and I don't want to belabor this, is the doctor never looks at the patient. But, and I refused to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather have someone behind me documenting everything. Mm-hmm. All right.
13: Just an observation about that. I think we should be very vigilant going forward with EPIC to not fall into what other. Systems have had to experience. You, yeah. Well, it, what you just said is absolutely true. Um, we went to the Governance Institute, and one of the cartoons that's shown in all of the presentations about, you know, the electronic health record, <laughs> is that the doctor never looks at the no, patient. They're over here, and that means they're not really connecting. That means they're not really doing the examination. Um, one thing my brother is really harping on all the time how many times do we go to the doctor and they no longer even touch you to check your pulse, to check, you know, whatever might need to be touched.
5: Unconscionable. Unconscionable. Well, so
13: my question is we're looking forward to this for all of the value that it brings based on the need for data, to understand our cost, to understand our productivity, and it's wonderful that it's going to do that. But we need to be vigilant that this does not hurt the quality of patient and doctor relationship that is absolutely essential to care. So, um, you know, we should ask ourselves a year from now, after this is implemented, what has happened? And we need to know how we're going to measure this. And there's got to be a way, aside from Epic, to, to, to help us have this discussion. Uh, a year I would, highly
5: now. recommend you have a metric for the physicians at Highland that is how much time do you spend on the computer after you've seen all your patients? Okay, there
4: you go.
5: Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you will see, because when we started our electronic medical record in the office, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, I found that I was wasting, I thought, wasting, an hour and a half, two hours a day after I had seen all my patients, Mm -hmm. and I refused to do that, and I decided it's better to hire someone to do that while I'm doing it real time, Mm-hmm. and see two or three more patients. I'd rather do that than sit in front of a screen for two hours afterwards. And we made the, con- and, and mainly because I saw so many complaints from Kaiser patients. The doctor never even looked at me. The doctor was just on his computer the whole time. And and I said, we're not gonna fall back so, All
0: I right. think that that's
7: really or something that,
1: that has yeah. to be. Well, what cost?
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for that warning. Well, yeah. <laughs> this is one more thing for us to worry about, right?
7: Yeah.
0: I,
11: uh, Sure, yeah. I belabor this, but I don't want to, let me just say this to suggest that we try to find a way to discuss this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing a lot of change management um, challenge in this organization. Mm-hmm. And um, people not feeling like they're part of the conversation, uh, people wanting to give, stakeholders wanting to give input when there's significant change before the change happens. This is really hard for management to do this effectively, um, but it's um, it's sort of key to making change work. So I think we should talk a little bit about it tomorrow. Have a dialogue with management involved in the in the dialogue about what resources are available to do that um, and and how we as trustees might help uh, management in getting to a better place on it.
7: Okay, yeah.
0: Yeah. we do. Uh, we are. Um, <clears throat> Our administration has uh, implemented a lot of change over the last couple of years. We're definitely not moving slowly. So I think that's, that's, that's valuable. Um, with that, I know Dr. Marzuk is not here to report from Alameda. This takes me to my president's report. I'm going to just really keep it very brief. I think um, we're still having positive conversations with the county. Um, I th- uh, also had a very positive conversation today at Alameda Hospital. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but it was very productive. Um, we will be meeting in August so um, we will be talking about when and how but um, I take our commitment to the county seriously that we deliver them a budget um, uh, you know by the end of August Um, so look at your calendars Um, I know that it might be a challenge for some but uh, the fourth Thursday in some ways makes sense since QPSC you know that that's when we would already meet or many of us Um, I think we may need to have a finance committee also to vet what comes forward Um, I think we're gonna be jammed up I mean I'm not gonna lie Uh, it's not gonna be easy and I think just everyone's got to pay really close attention and it's the right thing to do Um, and um, uh, so that's my report. So I hope no one was planning on like some, you know, month long vacation in the south of Paris. Because if you are, you're going to have to call into the meeting. He's back from Paris. Oh, you back from Paris? Good, good for you. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's all I have for my report. I'm going to turn it over to our CEO and grab some food real quick.
2: Uh, good evening. Uh, trustees? I'm back. Sorry. I'm having some board vantage issues, but it's my problem, not theirs. It's user error. problem advantage. Uh, no, I have, I have done the cardinal thing of forgetting my password. So anyway, um, good evening. Good to see you, as usual. Uh, I'll try to zip through some uh, edits. And as I talk, uh, has he already done that? Oh, yeah. Mark, uh, uh, I have mentioned in prior months um, uh, that... Um, that i thought it would be good for you to hear from our cio mark amy uh, uh in terms of the epic updates and so i've asked him to um, uh, do that portion of the update uh, this month um, i uh, we had one month in this month uh, almost uh, a little over a year and a half where we were in the red we were back in the green last month and um, i won't us. Um, Spoil the 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 good news at the end and then let him tell the rest of it. So, I uh, with the other pieces, uh, as you know, I usually start with the True North Metrics, and you get this well in advance. It's a lot of stuff, and so in the interest of time, we give it to you in advance. And so, it's an opportunity to ask questions. I'll tell you some stuff going on system wide, kind of mission moment things, as well as then try to tell you one or two things happening in the uh, in the uh, industry, as it were, in terms of uh, federal uh, policy. Is one of the things I'll talk about this month, uh, and then the Sapphire information as I mentioned, and just one closing reflection around um, a recent uh, uh, employee engagement survey that we just completed, but are still working on. So uh, true length mattress, I usually pause here. Uh, You've had it. Hopefully you've had a chance to uh, take a look and digest it. Uh, Happy to entertain any questions uh, you might have on it, or otherwise I'll keep moving in the interest of time. Okay, here none. Keep going. So, Submission moment. So actually all the ones I have this month, uh, I, I chose to focus on our Health Path program. Uh, uh, Jessica Pitt, who runs this program, you've heard a lot about it from on and off, uh, is just doing a remarkable job. And Health Path, as you uh, may recall, is a sort of a, a combination of a bunch of um, what we were calling pipeline programs is another name for it, but it's career development, uh, and we do it uh, uh, not just for career development, but we do it with an idea of our anchor mission as an organization, our commitment to diversity and inclusion, some of which you'll hear more about tomorrow. Uh, But I wanted to reflect a couple of things that are happening uh, uh, as we speak. So they have a couple of their summer um, uh, cohorts for the HEAL program, which is a health – excellence and academic, or I'm sorry, health education and academic uh, excellence, where we have students throughout uh, um, Alameda County who come to us. And one of the cohorts this year in a second year in a row is our uh, young men of color uh, cohort. So the group uh, images you see here are uh, some of those uh, uh, students who are participating. They simulated uh, uh, delivery in our uh, sim lab that's on the floor below us here. And they were taught about um, uh, personal protective equipment that you use in sterilized areas. So you see them all kind of suited up there, uh, getting exposed to what we do in healthcare settings to uh, um, provide for quality care and safety uh, throughout our, uh, our our service delivery. Here was actually, you recognize uh, Dr. Kevin Smith, our chair of OBGYN, was doing a training on suturing, and so both the images are uh, kids, and this is, I think, uh, combined students from both of the different programs who are uh, learning how to um, um, maneuver very uh, small Sutures using the instrumentation uh, that we use uh, for that purpose. So, pretty, pretty cool uh, training and and learning experience for them. Uh, This is our uh, MIMS program. So, Dr. Jocelyn uh, um, uh, Freeman Garrick, who's uh, one of the ED docs, uh, started this program. MIMS is mentors in medicine, and it's a program where uh, they have medical students who in. uh, who mentor college students, uh, largely of color, who are interested in careers in healthcare, and kind of helping to continue to educate them about that pathway to uh, go on from their undergraduate studies into medical training and education, and on from there into residency and practice. And uh, they do an annual program each year. I participated last year, and I see Baljeed, uh our VP of uh, Support Services, was in this image, uh, where we bring not just uh, some of the participants in the MEMS program, both the mentors and the uh, uh, the mentees, but also. Members and uh, um, a whole day convening, so we did this, I think, uh, earlier this month as well. So, and, and MEMS, though, so we fold under our health path umbrella as well. So, a lot of programs again that are around um, advancing our, our efforts as an anchor organization and also uh, our, our commitment to uh, health equity and diversity and inclusion. Again, more of which you'll hear about tomorrow. Uh, so, just want to highlight that. On a federal level, I actually uh, struggled to produce a slide, but I will say on the state level, uh, the budget, uh, the governor's budget was passed. We talked a lot about uh, the governor uh, really uh, leaning for this governor uh, in his first year in office to advance um, uh, health care uh, uh, access and uh, services across our continuum, particularly focusing on remaining uninsured populations, uh, uh, but also on um, uh, social determinants of health and really focusing on early childhood. Uh, Uh, population, so health care, social services, and things like that. Uh, So he's also, through the budget, there was something called a Healthy California for All Commission, and there's going to be a commission looking at um, uh, providing some real uh, thought leadership around uh, what sorts of things the state of California can continue to do to push to advance health care across the continuum, both medical and behavioral, and looking at social determinants. So we're looking forward to hearing more about that. Uh, The the, um, I said pressure and uh, uh, the emphasis that's being applied to the delivery side so us and our colleagues is around affordability. Also to the peer side through the uh, supply side particularly pharmaceuticals and you know the governor's doing a lot in that space. Uh, so we're really looking at how do we uh, bring all these thought leaders together to look at what are the drivers for uh, um, uh, challenges in access, challenges in costs and trying to address those. So I'll tell you more about those. And here I just wanted to do, you may have heard over the last month, uh, some uh, advanced or some continuation of uh, efforts that had happened um, at the end of last year where a federal district court judge in um uh, in Texas, I believe it was, uh, passed down a law that um, took the fact that the ACA and the removal of the individual mandate uh, uh, that uh, a couple of conservative states then questioned whether then the ACA, without that mandate, uh, which was basically the tax uh, penalty, uh, if it was no longer legal anymore, and this judge deemed it no longer le- legal. And of course, there's immediate appeal. That appeal hearing happened earlier this month, and there were some real signals, concerning signals, so there's a lot of conversation around this in terms of uh, uh, questions uh, that was happening in this 90-minute hearing from the um, three-member appellate uh, court in Louisiana uh, in the Fifth Circuit. And so there's an expectation that this uh, ruling will come down somewhere around October. And obviously, if they uphold the decision of the uh, lower court, uh, that really uh, pretends to uh, continue to threaten the ACA and uh, have a really challenging uh, uh, road ahead. Obviously, that won't be the end of it, and it would uh, then proceed to the Supreme Court and we'd have to follow it but obviously uh, those who support the ACA are really hoping that this appellate court will overrule or overturn that lower court decision uh, for which a lot of people uh, are optimistic. Even the folks who were hoping for the appeal of, repeal of the ACA thought that it was a bad decision and, and that it, it shouldn't move forward. So more to come on that, but I we'll want make sure you're, you're following those as well. And I want to now
14: take a moment to turn it over to Mark. I can drive for you, Mark, or can turn it over to you? you, you uh, that's fine if you want to drive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank, you, thank you. And uh, thank you, Delvecchio, for turning it over to me after we were back off of watch uh, last month. So I appreciate that. Um, I'm actually going to flip through a couple of the slides fairly quickly because they're in your packet and you can read through those. And I'm going to talk a little bit about where we're at in the project. So just as a review, we're back on Satisfactory. You've all seen the uh, the um, uh, slides that uh, we get from uh, EPIC, which does our assessment, and those are important to us. There's no executive interventions we need at this point. Things are looking good. Um, I also want to review, if you don't mind going to the next Sorry, slide. Sorry,
2: just a point of clarification because uh, I see people
14: looking, no, this is not in your packet. Okay. Oh. Uh, you hadn't received a sorry you, about you, that to give this to you but that's okay, mark yeah we can uh, certainly uh, um, share out uh, on this, but uh, cool. basically things are going well from an EPIC and, and from our perspective um, with, the, with the overall project. Um, just to review our timeline on the next slide, we're actually just wrapping up the testing phase. I'm going to talk a little bit on the slide after this about exactly where we're at on that, but we're just wrapping up the testing phase and we're moving into training. In fact, training starts on Monday in our big push. So we've been doing all of our, cr- our credentialed trainers um, up to this point. And, um, We'll start uh, regular super user training uh, on Monday and then go into our our normal user training after that. Jumping to the next slide, uh, Dalvecchio. Major accomplishments for us. I'm actually really pleased with where the team is uh, at on this. There's a number of things that are just uh, things in addition to the slides that you see on a regular basis. Um, We're doing basic computer training. We're actually um, partnered with our SEIU um, uh, uh, labor uh, group on uh, computer training. The gentleman that does that brings in homemade cookies um, uh, every day, and you see a bunch of people in there learning, going through basic mouse clicks and things that, you know, some of the folks at San Leandro or uh, at Alameda Hospital may not be exposed to. So we're uh, we're seeing good engagement with the team on that. (laughs) We actually have had great um, uh, uh, test out on our credentialed trainers. Uh, Epic normally sees only about an 80% pass rate on those. We're at 95% pass rate. Um, actually, two of our help desk people uh, went through that and actually got credentialed as trainers, which is great for us. I was really pleased uh, with that uh, for us because that's going to help us uh, post-go live, obviously. Other things that we've done, uh, we completed a work, uh, workflow walkthrough. Um, we used an example of a shark bite out of uh, Lake Merritt, and we took uh, everything from uh, the emergency department visit to going into surgery to post-surgery and worked through everything from uh, how the patient flow would go, including the connection with my chart. We also did a similar uh, workflow walkthrough in our ambulatory space using an example of a severe sunburn on this, and we had great engagement from, uh, from the uh, organization in that with the questions we had around billing, about around the clinical components of it. Just went well. We've completed two um, of our go-live readiness assessments. We did a 120-day one. We did a 90-day one. We have a 60-day uh, GLRA coming up here shortly. We've been really closely partnered with our business partners on those so that we're actually joint presenting on issues that we have at this point on in each of those areas. Um, we also have 70% of our staff registered for training uh, as we move into that. So, so we've made a lot of progress uh, through this. Jumping to the next slide, down, down back here, thanks. So I would have actually, advised releasing the slide today, I would actually put other areas of focus on this, because this is uh, something that changes almost on a daily basis for us, as we uh, pull in one area and get it uh, stabilized, and we have another area that uh, that we're working on. Our technical dress rehearsal continues to be an area of concern for us. We're behind schedule on that. That's basically where we go around and touch every computer to make sure that it's functioning in the way it should. Um, we've actually just added an additional uh, project manager as well as several additional staff into that area. And so we had our two best days um, over the last couple of days. We needed to hit about 150 machines a day. We're at about 200 right now. So we're doing well in catching up from where we were. So I'm no longer worried about that. Order sets. Thank you to the doctors in the room, the physician leadership. We've actually, we were on watch last month on those, and we've actually come out of that. We had about 140 order sets to approve. We're down to 12 left, and they're moving nicely through the approval process, so really appreciate the work on that. Thank you. Uh, long-term care billing, we've had several meetings, including a meeting with the President of EPIC to talk about that module and where it's going. And I think we got uh, good feedback and good uh, direction on that area as well. So I have a new list of concerns. You don't need to worry about those yet. I'm on top of them. But uh, but the list that we had on here as, uh, as we went into this is is actually well on target for us. Jumping into uh, next month with what with where we're going. So our focus uh, there, you know, there's a list of things that we're doing. I mentioned we're starting our training on Monday. It's super exciting. We've gotten great feedback from our CTS on the training uh, thus far. So, so that's going good. We've got the, the uh, Go Live Readiness Assessment coming up for ourselves couple of other things that are uh, uh, exciting uh, or and Beljeet, I saw him in the back here he's been helping us put together our command center you know just command uh, just the logistics of 150 some people at go live and running remote command centers we have a project manager dedicated to just helping us with the go live um, uh, piece of this we also have another uh, project manager on the cutover which is a huge lift our nursing team has been working with us on figuring out staffing in that because there's a lot of orders that we need to pull in the you know the night of for patients that are actively in beds that we need to take care of. So there's a tremendous amount of work, and we're deep into the planning uh, focus on those uh, particular areas as we move forward. Lastly, um, and I'm happy to talk more about what we have coming up here, but lastly, the project continues to be on budget. In fact, our spend has increased, as we anticipated, so we're spending more money, but that was was as planned, but we're still well within the budget that we projected for ourselves. Questions?
7: Um, My question is, Regarding the migration, or the, the uh, just could you explain? Our, did we have to invest in a lot of hardware, or is this mainly um, just a software addition to our existing computer?
14: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So, our old systems, so uh, they're, they're in a, ver- a variety of locations. So Alameda um, uh, Meditech, we actually host that ourselves on some very ancient hardware. The San Leandro um, uh, Meditech is actually hosted for us by another company and is on very ancient hardware as well. Sorian is hosted by Cerner on more modern uh, hardware. Um, Epic is actually going to be hosting for us. So we're actually not, in, uh, on the back end systems, we're not uh, investing anything on those, uh, on that hardware. We pay a monthly fee for it, which is really your software as a service in the cloud is really the direction, and we're, we're well within that, uh, that space. Obviously, there's, you know, wows um, or cows, whatever you want to call them, that we have out on the nursing stations, updated PCs, bigger monitors, those sorts of things, and that's been a big investment for us uh, from a hardware standpoint. But most of this actually is not the software, it's not the hardware, it's actually the, Um, labor in order to to implement it, you know, developing the workflows, uh, the order sets, everything that goes along with that. Thanks.
10: Hi, Mark. Uh, Question. So on Monday, uh, September 30th, that will be the first outpatient day because we go live on Saturday. Um, uh, It's been messaged that there will be minimal reduction in clinic templates and probably just one patient from a template of 8 to a 10. Can you walk us through the, the potential impact? Because uh, just to refresh for this board, we're going what we call Big Bang methodology. We're just turning it off, and then I'm sorry, we're just turning it on at one time. So everyone's going to be in a learning environment exactly on the same day. On. So, so talk to me through the decision just to reduce by one patient for a template, and how long that will be through. Yeah, and so proposed impact.
14: Yeah, so I don't remember off the top of my head how long that is. I want to say 30 days, but do not quote me on that, please, because I I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, So there's different ways that you implement uh, electronic medical records. And to keep this brief, it used to be that you took major reductions in staffing. That's not the case anymore. And the last couple of EMR implementations that I've done, we've done very minimal staffing reduction or uh, patient reduction, excuse me, like this. You really augment with um, additional super users um, at the elbow support, and so we're going to have uh, we're going to be covered well with that. I actually have pictures of uh, Dr. Jamaladeen um, in his super user training uh, class. We're going to have uh, uh, you a SDS. lot. His uh, <laughs> so sitting right behind us. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, so um, we um, you know, we'll have a lot of um, super users at the elbow support. The reason you don't um, do the uh, reduction in um, in patients is a couple of uh, reasons um, on it. First of all, and, and I, I appreciate what was said earlier about you know a lot of our physicians already no epic so most organizations have um, either um, physicians or residents that have come off of other EMRs at this point. So the jump is not as large uh, for them. Also, the impact of the, uh, to patients just from a customer service standpoint is significant. And then lastly, revenue. you got to take that into account. And certainly we're not dollar-driven, but we also know that we have uh, tight finan- finances. And so taking a hit of 20 or 30% reduction in, um, in uh, patient volume, it would have a significant uh, impact for us. So we are following EPIC guidelines on this fact, we're being slightly conservative on our reductions even to what Epic's recommending as best practice right now.
10: Okay. I'll just say that uh, there is a, a tone of anxiety around the launch on this issue, and I'll, it, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's actually not amongst the physicians who actually are mm-hmm. showing a growing comfort. It's around the support staff mm-hmm. who have not trained ever in this environment because many of our docs have trained in environments where Epic is and, we, and, and our touch faces with ex- next gen. So the concern, <laughs> just, just to be attentive to that, is, is, is very palpable. Well, that's in- what in
0: the Dr. Ingenio was saying as well, right? Mm-hmm.
14: Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I would agree that's absolutely a concern. It's one of the reasons we're doing roughly 800 people as super users for, you know, when you consider an organization of our size, that's a significant amount of super users that we intend to have on every floor, every shift as, as we're going through, to really provide uh, you know, that at the elbow support for folks and, and help them get up to speed. I will say even in my experience with this, the more you use the system, the quicker you come up to speed. So there is that balancing act there as well uh, with it. Hmm. Other questions? No. <clears throat> well, uh, okay. It's exciting. Yeah. I'm very excited about nervous and excited all at the same time. So mm-hmm. uh it's uh, it's a big project for us, but uh we're doing well right now. Yeah,
0: thank you. Thank you.
14: I think that's
2: um probably he's he could speak for all of us.
14: You know, <laughs> nervous and excited.
2: Uh, but really I would add one more um very appreciative I would say for our doctors, our staff, really rallying behind this up to this point to really get us even to the point of being able to uh, provide a um, a you know a rosy update and and has been. We have continued to stay there, and people have really risen to the occasion uh, uh, as they said they would when uh, you you made the vote of confidence to do this. And so I want to uh, lift that up uh, because I know that that's not usually the case, and our Epic partners have all all but said that you know that that um, uh, we expect it. More volatility here or there, and uh, for an organization like ours with as many moving parts as we have, that wouldn't have been um, um, a bad thing. It wouldn't have been unexpected. But we have really uh, uh, shined well, and very hopeful that we will keep keep doing that through uh, up to and through go live. So, thank you. And Mark has been amazing. He's been here not quite a year yet, right? Year when we go live, I'll be at my year anniversary. Right. Just on right. me. So we'll we'll see how his review goes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally <terrific laughs> i <and> excited. <laughs> He's doing a wonderful job, and we're, we're we're glad to have him here. So I will uh, wrap up in the interest of time. Uh, my last slide here is really um, to also celebrate. Uh, I want to recognize the workforce. Um, uh, I learned I learned at one point uh, in my marriage that. The opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference, and so you should be m- less concerned when your, when your partner complains, but, uh, and more concerned when they stop talking, right? Uh, so uh, fortunately, uh, I, I s- sort of take some of that mantra into my work practice, and uh, um, we have launched, it's been, we skipped a year, you'll recall, in our employee engagement survey to give us some time to uh, work on the last one, and, and obviously survey fatigue, because we've done a, a t- ton of s- uh, surveys, a lot of them in the quality space and this is more of the employee engagement one uh, system-wide and so we launched it a little over a month ago and it uh, ended up or uh, wrapped up I think at the beginning of July and I'm happy to say we have a 51% response rate uh, which is uh, quite remarkable and this includes uh, um, really significant and robust response from our providers as well so we really appreciate that. uh, notwithstanding whatever the results are that we will get. And we are uh, in the process now of, of curating and uh, um, uh, synthesizing that data so that we can then get those results back and uh, um, uh, take lessons from them and then decide how we, how we respond to those opportunities, of which I'm sure there will be uh, quite, quite uh, a few. Uh, I will, in the um, uh, vein of transparency, tell you. And um, I appreciate it, Trustee Hernandez and QPSC lauding uh, efforts around incentivizing uh, uh, positive behavior. Uh, we did uh, do a few, you know, uh, let's get these numbers up because we really want to hear from people. So, uh, actually, just this past Tuesday, I think it was, uh, I had lunch because uh, one of the uh, first prizes was uh, the first uh, departments or units to get to 100%. I don't know if there's a prize for them. I hope they agreed. Uh, they had a pizza, uh, pizza lunch with me. Not the same pizza you have today, but uh, but it was a pizza lunch with me, and we, it was two departments. Yeah, so We have the Health Information uh, Management depo- Unit over at San Leandro, and uh, the Benefits uh, Department in HR. Uh, but there were several departments that did achieve 100% in order to get us here, and uh, those areas are getting other recognitions, including some, uh, a lot of people are going going to the A's game uh, next month, uh, so we're looking forward to that as well. Oh, there's some chair massages and everything. No trips to Vegas. No. Waffle. <laughs> oh, waffles. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the pizza right. people were wondering right. where the waffles were. Uh, but it I have say, a, this pizza tonight, you know. I
0: never eat pizza, but this is some good pizza. That really? Great. I don't eat pizza. Right. But it's really good. All right, we'll pass that along. Do, I do hope there's more back there for me. Can I, I just ask kidding. a question? I think we covered this in HR, right, yeah. Trustee Jensen? Um, if it was only two weeks ago, I'm, I'm remembering, but um, if we had 100 uh, uh, percent participation in some departments, that means other departments were well below 51 percent. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just want to, you know, I know that you guys are vetting that further. You talked about that a little bit at, at HR. I don't know if that was going to be in your report, so I hope I'm not stealing your thunder. Well,
7: I'm not. I wasn't going to talk specifically about, I was going to say how great it was that we had basically so much Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so, is surveys, bad? you know, historically, uh, uh, 33% is considered mm-hmm. a representative sample, uh, and I, I was told uh, at some conference I was at recently, that number has unfortunately gone down, wow. uh, but the number's gone down because we survey a lot, and in social media and others, I think people just uh, fatigue is going up, uh, and certainly in this organization, we've done a lot. So to have a 51 percent response rate, we were uh, incredibly pleased. And you know, as I say, we know that the results may not all be favorable, uh, uh, but they will be um, all be lessons, and we'll take away the uh, positive as well as the constructive, and we'll, we'll share that with you as well as sharing it with the organization
10: and the All right. response plan. And that's Tony it. You. Tony, ahead, how so. long will it take to generate that report? Six weeks or
9: so? Uh,
15: I would say a little longer. We've got, because there are two elements. We're having uh, Dr. Wiley come out, who's the industrial psychologist a little, who
16: works with a little the little psychologist.
15: So we've got Dr. Wiley coming out, uh, who's the PhD industrial psychologist who works uh, for Engage to Excel. We're working on that da- date right now. The problem is Epic Go Live. So we're trying to fit him in <laughs> do training of the executive team before we cascade it out. So I'll get back to you with an exact date and I'll, I'll let the board know exactly when we have a date. But so he's coming in, he'll first do education with the executive team, and then out in the organization, and then the HR business partners will go out, train all the managers on the information, Before they review it, it's a little. It can be a little questionable just to send the information out. They need to understand how to review it, what it looks like, what it means to them, and then they'll go out and start working directly with their teams on action plans. uh, And then we'll be tracking the action plan development and responses to those. Thank you. And it'll all come back to HR next quarter. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I have. Great,
0: Mr. Uh, Trustee Bouquet. Committee reports. Oh, uh,
10: committee reports. Um, the QPSC met on June 27th, um, and uh, we we uh, conducted our normal work, which, which was credentialing and, of course, policies and procedures approval. For, a, a, as this committee knows, we we try to review an article together. The article that we reviewed uh, the article that we reviewed last month was from the Harvard Business Review. How not to cut healthcare care costs, which I thought was apropos. Uh, and this was in follow-up um, to the prior month where we reviewed an article, The Cost of Poor Quality. Uh, I'm just going to give you the five uh, bullet points from this article. Mistake number one, cutting back on support staff. Mistake number two, under-investing in space and equipment. Mistake number three, focusing narrowly on procurement prices. Number four, maximizing patient throughput, interestingly. And number five, failing to benchmark and standardize. It's a very provocative article. Um, uh, I think this will be something that we might talk about a little bit tomorrow. We have an agenda item, uh, the interface between quality and finance. After we did our article, uh, we then went on to chief of staff reports. As you know, with standard work, I I, I always ask them to uh, rank list their concerns. Uh, Dr. Ballard from uh, the core medical staff uh, ranked number one, concern, trust, number two, trust, number three, wellness. Uh, Dr. Ingeniu, uh from San Leandro uh, noted number one, a concern was nurse staffing, number two was Sapphire Epic, number three was the merger, which uh, fortunately does not seem to be an issue anymore. Uh, Dr. Marzuk from Alameda Hospital uh, noted number one, patient safety, number two, Sapphire, and number three, specialty services. After we uh, did the chief of staff report, then we went into our regular SBU reports, and we heard a, a very nice report from, uh, from our VPs uh, at each of the respective hospitals uh, for the acute care. Uh, and just to summarize. Uh, Uh, Ms. Shelton said her top concerns were budget, sapphire, and patient experience. Ms. Cooper said her top concerns were staff morale, sapphire, and sustaining the surge uh, issues. And um, uh, I think that's all we had from them because we didn't—we uh, were missing one of our uh, presenters. We also heard a brief report on the status of throughput initiatives, and uh, I'll be happy to say, in follow-up, we're, we're showing actually some positive data with regard to the Code Red surge. So these investments, these foundational investments, are actually starting to show some payoff right now. So thanks to. Uh, Uh, Luis's team and and, and the efforts that are putting in that. We discussed patient safety and regulatory affairs, and then we had a very robust discussion. As we recall, uh, we had to make a vote for the quality-related True North metrics. Um, So we're rolling those out next month, and uh, they're largely the same with a few tweaks. Uh, We've added uh, avoidable hospital days, uh, which will be an interesting metric that we'll follow. So that was the report, and thank you.
0: All right. Any questions? Thank you. Could you um, email us that article? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's in.
7: Trustee Jensen. The, um, the Human Resources Committee met earlier this month on the 10th, and it was, um, it was actually a great meeting, and it was a, quite a long meeting, longer than our usual meetings, because of the information shared and, and the questions asked. Uh, as you heard from the CEO, the Health Path program, the Health Path uh, educational program is going very well. And um, we heard about that. We heard about the the different parts of the program, Health Path, and we also heard about the diversity of the participants and the sites that it's serving. We, as um, DelBecchio also mentioned, we heard about the survey, the, res- the employee survey and the responsiveness, which um, seemed it definitely is improving and so maybe not during my tenure on the board but maybe they'll get up to 100% at some point here (laughs) Um, at least in HR I think they will because HR tends to lead with filling out and completing the survey maybe just so they can have
15: one employee didn't do it in HR? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we, we don't know who yet.
7: But uh, um, no, you will find
15: out. <laughs> the <laughs> other great news
7: was um, about the participation in, in uh, other, other activities and participation. And the Leadership Academy participation is trending up as well. There's, there's great participation there. And the competencies um, training for all staff, including LGBTQ for SNF staff is at 80, a little less than 80%, so that's an issue that's being uh, addressed and being supported, but then the diversity and inclusion module is at 98%, which is great. So we're really sharing information and making sure that all the staff and it has, that, um, has that information and is an awareness. The, newer, the new HR information system portal was discussed, and um, this is an internal, internal system change that's improved the ability of staff in HR to share information and track information. So that was good news. And um, externally, though, one of the best topics and one of the most interesting things we learned was about the HR help desk. What I'll call the help desk because that's a, something that everybody understands. HR has a service team that is basically began in april early april um, collecting and requests and information from everywhere throughout the system and they were getting about 1200 inquiries a month since april which is a lot people this is definitely an unmet need and um, the israel related to things like personnel actions and actually the most inquiries were about hr compliance and um, as we hear from tony and his staff this was about licensure and certification, where am I? Am I up to date? And um, helping people to identify what licenses they needed, what certifications, and so those were by far the biggest part of the um, inquiries. And so that's continuing to be addressed. It's um, been seen as very positive by staff that they can just send an email or make a phone call to get this this um, input. And finally, uh, when it, well, it wasn't the last thing, but the other highlight was um, the medic, medic- Medical uh, benefit enrollment, which was—I um, was kind of surprised. I knew that we had a great, we had a great um, plan here in AHS, but I it, it's amazing to know that um, 61% of staff choose to get served here at through the AHS PPO.
15: Sixty-one. could I just let me I'm make sure I'm clear. so 61% of the employees participate in our self-insured plan? It has three tiers, one of which is to attend services within the health system, which is zero cost. Most employees don't get care in the system. Some do, choose to get it at our clinics and within the hospitals, but others go, we rent the Anthem network so they can go anywhere. But they do use our self-insured plan, that's 61%, the remainder are in Kaiser, or don't select any insurance.
7: Right, and 37%, I think, about what is in Kaiser, which. Well, that's... And that's important and the self-insured plan is one of the tiers is uh, has no cost sharing is that's right?
15: if you come in to, in, inside right. the system if you receive care. so
7: that's when you come in to get your care from our excellent providers yeah. and um i think yeah that was that's my report all
0: right <clears throat> any questions um I, I just want to say tony i'm really impressed with what you've done with your hr team uh it's it's, it's employee focused it's efficient it seems responsive, and um, yeah, it was re- really, really great
15: stuff you're doing. Thank you, I appreciate yeah. it. They're a, they're a great team, and they're, they're making a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Trustee Peterson, our newest chair. <laughs>
7: <laughs>
0: Congratulations. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't really have too much to report. That's but, fine. Um,
16: um, we uh, engaged the, the audit firm for, I believe, its fourth year, and um, and everything feel, feels like it's on schedule. Okay one of the discussion items we had is about the compliance issues around the electronic health record and um you know and it just is going to create some challenges but uh, it seems like uh, our staff is on top of it. okay so
11: that's really all i have to report
0: great thank you She
11: yes i'll try to be brief uh
0: <laughs>
11: so uh this is regarding the committee report uh we met this month um, and for the positive news in terms of the trending for the uh, wrap up of the year. Um, We're on track to end uh, financially where we had planned to end with uh, even a, a 4.5% for this year. And uh, so I think we should pause <laughs> and be thankful for that. Um, and that's largely uh, because of staff's um, throughout the whole system working to find savings on the expense side. I point you to page six in the financial report if you're interested in looking at how revenue tracks against expenses over the year. It says something about um, uh, how we did over the year, but it also says a lot about what each month varies. So that's a pattern I've had to, as chair, get used to. Uh, It gets some months you have more billable days and then other months, so you'll see higher uh, tracking there. It's not necessarily that we're doing better in that month, but that's uh, uh, related to how much revenue we can bring in that particular month. Uh, the other uh, the other thought I wanted to, to end here with is that um, I think there's sort of a macro, a micro way of looking at our finances, and the, the macros are the final numbers, the bottom line, uh, the EBITDA number, the operating uh, margin. It, are those healthy um, is one way to look at um, uh, finances at our level, tr- at the trustee level. But um, and, and that seems, to, the good news is, I've said this before, that um, despite a revenue collection um, uh, or net patient revenue uh, classification issue that we had earlier in the year, uh, we, uh, it feels like those numbers are very trustworthy. Um, and that's going to be important as we uh rushing and <laughs> move into, and we're in it, a new fiscal year that's very difficult and, uh, well, preceding years are going to be more difficult. So uh, that's just a general comment. I think the, the biggest uh, challenge is uh, the, the micro, quite frankly. It's figuring out, and I've heard from a, uh, several of docs and, and other stakeholders in the organization about their concern related to our revenue collection, our efficiency, our effectiveness, which is a natural, um, I have the same concern. Uh, it's a natural concern uh, when you are in a budget crisis, as we are, uh, when revenue is really, is restricting on the supplemental side, where we need to look at everything very carefully. And I think that's where the, um, you know, the commi- I suspect that's where the committee is going to need to spend most of its energy um, in the coming year with staff. And the good news is, uh, staff introduced a new tool, which we're going to talk about in more detail. So I won't say much about it, uh, but this tool will really allow the system to dive in uh, at specific cost centers and look at—I mean, actually, right down to a provider. Hmm. and look at efficiency uh, and and financial uh, consequences. So that's, um, I think, that it's overdue, quite frankly. Um, I think we're going to find a lot of space there for um, savings and maybe less debate about what, um, I hear a lot of debate across the system about where cost savings can happen and where it can't. And I think we need to get more data driven by that. And this uh, vigilance, uh, this Visiant system Uh, WHICH WE'LL TALK ABOUT LATER WILL GIVE US THAT. SO I'M I'm OPTIMISTIC uh, ABOUT THAT. Um, GREAT. ANY QUESTIONS?
0: GREAT, BECAUSE I I HAVE TO CONCUR. I ASKED STAFF TO KEEP VISITING ON OUR DISCUSSION CALENDAR FOR TONIGHT BECAUSE I WANTED EVERYONE TO HEAR it WHO WASN'T AT THE FINANCE COMMITTEE. BECAUSE I DO THINK THAT WHEN WE LOOK AT CUTS, AND I THINK WE HAD A PRIME EXAMPLE OF THAT TONIGHT WITH SOME OF THE PUBLIC COMMENT, PEOPLE MAY THINK THAT THEIR WORK IS know making the system money or whatnot and with Visient, you're able to drill down to the person to the procedure and really see what the true costs are and and I think with the merger of that with with the Sapphire go-live will 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 really drive efficiency and really show us where adjustments and course corrections have to be made so um, we'll save any budget conversation for a little bit later so even though we just covered finance um, I think now it's time for our consent calendar
10: motion to approve
0: all in favor? Aye. Uh, I have, a, um, I have, I have an edit. Oh, yeah. I okay.
7: do,
0: Okay. Well, why would you make a motion to approve if you have an edit? Well, so we did have
16: discussions.
7: So okay,
0: fine. We discuss. have discussions. Thank you.
10: i <laughs> <laughs> you all I said. In, in, the, in the minutes item F2 on page 42 of the packet, there was discussion of AHP. I was noted to be one of the eyes in the room. Oh. I'm oh, sorry. I'm
12: sorry. But
10: I was not
0: in the room. Well, that's, that's important. important. That's like important. Okay. One. Yeah. <laughs> And talk that that it? and uh, trustee jensen you had
7: important. one as well well i are we approving the minutes from june 27th and april 26th or just june 27th as provided in the agenda april. Both. both oh it just says approval of minutes from june 27th
4: but 29th. it was but the
10: april was included in the oh packet. i saw that yeah. Yeah, so yeah i'm just
7: trying to be transparent time, right? time,
10: yeah, yeah.
7: sorry if not everybody goes to all the minutes and read them all yeah
0: um with that can I get a vote all in favor aye, aye. aye. great okay um, I think we're on to measuring and monitoring health equity yes um, I hope we're sequenced and, and don't I, I just have to ask you to really please get the microphone okay. close to your mouth love, you. uh, Trustee Peterson and She Quinn you also are mumbling a little bit um, oh, and cool. I think our audience uh, deserves to hear what we're saying I'm with lots of positive nods
2: Something. Uh, For that, and actually, we had a mishap earlier that uh, we don't want to repeat that again. And I know Dave uh, appreciates it too. So, Uh, Justin, so this uh, before we get started, what we are doing, and I'm doing this with the um, endorsement and support of um, um, Trustee Hernandez and. and, Trustee DeVries is coming to you and providing an interim update. So what you're hearing today is not the final product. It's basically to give you a sense of our continued efforts to address uh, a, a, a uh, challenge that um, really, I'd say, uh, Trustee Hernandez, uh, but all of you have been uh, uh, um Lifting, but she's been uh, really uh, challenging us to really look at this. And so what we wanted to do is not get too far down the road here in our work, uh, but just to give you a sense of what we are doing and to um, just take uh, um, the opportunity, if that's okay with you, to ask you questions about what you're hearing about the direction and to offer us some feedback. Okay? Uh, so this is, as it's uh, labeled, a current state assessment of our health equity, diversity, and inclusion uh, um, uh, project and a framework and status report. Uh, I should stop before I go into deta- uh, the work here and take a moment to recognize uh, the folks who really are doing this work. I get to uh, opine and throw straws and ask them to change things and help me out uh, a bit more. But uh, uh, a good deal of the work here, as is reflected in some of the re- uh, uh, report, is Actually done by a summer intern uh, that we have brought in uh, under the leadership of our, our VP of strategy. And he's in the room now, so I'm going to ask Henry uh, Lee if you would actually stand up. Henry is a master's student at Purdue, and he's here with us through a summer enrichment program through the American Hospital Association's collaboration with a couple of other entities, uh, uh, but it's the In- Institute for Diversity and Health Equity, actually. So he's a summer intern through that program, and actually uh, some of the work that – or the um, direction that we're taking is actually also coming out of that program. So just wanted to thank Henry for uh, all he's done. and. Uh, the work that you'll see that he'll continue to do in his remaining weeks with us this summer. Uh, So again, to just it off, uh, we do have, and we wanted to uh, lift up the fact that this organization has long had a lot of efforts around uh, diversity and inclusion, certainly health equity, and a lot that we have celebrated, both in sharing it with you and sharing it with uh, our, our, uh, within the organization and with the public. Uh, These efforts are all throughout the organization, so you can find efforts in POP Health um, and operations and HR and the like. you see here, uh, including obviously our medical staff and graduate medical education as well. Uh, But but what we're saying is we're appreciating that while these uh, efforts are here, we know that uh, and we appreciate that the imperative for us is to be more proactive and strategic and really uh, lead um, in these important areas. And we hear that and uh, we are positioning ourselves, we believe, to to answer that that challenge. we it, it, as a as a way to kind of get out of the gate here uh as i mentioned ashwari and i uh, working actually with lisa marie may in hr um, um, uh, brought in a summer intern and we bring in lots of interns over the summer largely through a local program with uh, UC uh, Berkeley and other places and you remember uh, two young ladies we had last summer but this summer we uh, brought in specifically an intern in the form of Henry to help us with this project uh, through his uh, time through uh, August um, and uh, we came up with uh, the scope of work which was really to identify appropriate uh, qualitative uh, tool for gathering current state to really get a true and robust assessment of what we're doing and where we're doing those things. Um, And that work uh, takes connecting with leaders and stakeholders across the organization to do that assessment, synthesizing all of that, uh, which is not just the work we're doing, but also work, as you'll see, around uh, community assessments and other sorts of things that will give us a sense of gap analysis and opportunities. And then, as was kind of the main deliverable for the board, uh, propose and create an ongoing reporting and uh, planning tool. We, We propose to you that. Putting it in our um, True Health Metric Dashboard might not truly capture the robust and uh, um, uh, kind of broad aspects of this, so we tried to wedge it into that tool. But that maybe this was a different tool, and that maybe the, uh, the cadence of this is actually a little bit different than monthly, uh, but maybe biannually or something like that. So we're still doing that work, but that was basically the scope of work and we're going to be driven by uh, the work that, uh, or the, the data and the intelligence that we gather through the assessment process. So the current state, uh, again, um, uh, we tasked uh, Henry uh, to help us to do some uh, sort of field studies to find out who's doing this type of work and what sorts of tools are they using and what sort of processes do they um, – I'm going to go for this work and uh, through that work we landed on this particular tool uh, that uh, we have a few screen grabs of so, some of the uh, 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 things that we'll do as a part of the assessment. Uh, we really were kind of wild by. Uh, the robustness of the assessment that they have here uh, including in one of the areas actually even some further drill downs around the cultural and uh, linguistically uh, uh, appropriate services where we really get into a lot more detail but uh, what we'll uh, share is just a piece of it but this particular survey that we're going to be working on in the timeline you'll see later looks at five different uh, domains that comprise these two areas of health equity and diversity and inclusion one is is your organization uh, as diverse as the community you serve Uh, Are your services culturally and linguistically proficient and equitable uh, in terms of patient care? Uh, uh, what's the strength of your workforce from this lens of uh, uh, diversity and inclusion, including not just the representation of the staff but education around uh, and health equity, i say, uh, around uh, uh, diversity and inclusion related topics and uh, 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 skills, trainings and the pipeline that you're bringing in for all of your workforce, but then a further lens into the leadership structure. This includes the board, um, uh, the leadership of the organization, the leadership of the medical staff, What's the diversity reflected there? What's the pipeline for talent in those spaces and training? And what sort of practices and policies do you have in place to facilitate that to expose these and, and advance these values? And then finally, as you might imagine, collaborations and partnerships in the community. So those are the five areas that we'll be uh, both doing a current state uh, survey, doing some field analysis, and then doing the gap analysis that we'll bring back to you. This one is just, and I apologize for the the tininess of the (laughs) piece here. I'll just call out through some of the things that are in the assessment. These are just further questions that we will ask ourselves in all five of those categories. Um, actually, it's hard for me to do it as well. Um, but in the, as, verse, as diverse as a community you serve, a couple of uh, questions include things like, do you actively use, or does your hospital actually monitor at least three times, or once every three years, the changing diversity demographics of your community, including gender, race, ethnicity, language, religion, disability, status, sexual orientation, gender identity, uh, veteran status, and socioeconomic uh, uh, changes. Uh, Have you done focus groups and surveys within the past three years in your community to measure the public's perception of your hospital and health system reputation in terms of diversity and inclusion and accessibility and cultural sensitivity? uh, Do you compare these results among diverse groups and so on and so forth? Um, And it goes on like that through a lot of the – all five of the areas that I mentioned. So in the interest of time, I won't uh, mention all of them. Uh, But we've looked at the survey and uh, fortuitously we will do the work. But there are a couple of areas where we're proud to say yes, the answer is uh, unequivocally, we do this and we have evidence to support it but there are a lot of areas where the answer is no we don't or it's a little bit fuzzy and we're going to you know be honest and uh, true with ourselves as we look at it we have just kind of a reflection of this in a uh, more graphical format here of what we'll be looking at in each of the five areas um, uh, for example in the culturally and linguistically appropriate uh, uh, services. Uh, we're looking at um, what we call real race, ethnicity, and language, uh, and uh, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity. Looking at it, I know we've had this a lot of times, we've talked about patient satisfaction surveys. Some of these things will have maybe a bit of limitations around, but we will uh, uh, queue them up as things that we want to continue to do to advance our efforts in this space. Uh, and again, it uh, goes on across the world in the five areas. Um, we will then uh, pull our data, some of it will be qualitative and a lot of it will be quantitative as well and some of it you actually heard reference to earlier uh, the HR committee has long been looking at data and asking about and uh, receiving data on workforce diversity across different parts and different disciplines within the organization we'll be looking at that as a part of this uh, effort we'll be looking at again the demographics of the community as reflected in our patients Uh, we'll be looking at services that we offer around interpreter services and other sorts of things to be accessible how do we uh, produce material for our community, uh, strengthening our workforce. What sort of specific services do we do to target uh, areas of disparity in healthcare, and uh, looking at uh, things that we do in our pipeline uh, programs as well. Uh, so the next steps, as we've laid them out, and we've taken the liberty, uh, 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 but we want your feedback on really not uh, being overly hasty with this work, but also um, uh, giving it the diligence it deserves in consideration for all the big things that are going on in the organization, principally Safar Go Lab, as we've been talking about, but also rehab relocation and other things. So we really wanted to kind of be mindful of that as we work with our staff and our patients to participate in this st- uh, this effort. So Action one is where we are right now. It's in process. And we expect to be completed over the next uh, four to uh, five weeks here. We'll complete the assessment, we'll compare the results, do a mini retreat with our clinical and administrative leaders. Um, we're actually proposing that this work will be uh, guide, guided by a steering committee, a multidisciplinary steering committee, uh, uh, and actually invite um, uh, board participation on that. and We've got some outreach, and we'll see uh, if there's interest in availability uh, uh, to do that. Uh, we will then be bringing some information to our senior management to talk about. Uh, those demographics uh, from the external data that we got and discuss those in light of the assessment in Action 1. Uh, three, which will be uh, from September through November, uh, uh, meeting informally with uh, diverse people. So these will be more like focus groups internal to the organization to talk about uh, perceptions, concerns, uh, health issues, uh, but also external. With uh, Largely, uh, we'll probably start with our patient and faci- uh, fam- different patient and family advisory groups, but we may actually convene groups uh, specifically for this purpose to uh, make sure we get a uh, representative sample of feedback. Action four, then, will be to look at uh, demographics of our workforce uh, as a um, uh, basis of comparison to some of the information that we've uh, seen here. And you'll see some of the things will be a bit concurrent, but we'll be working with HR to do that. Um, And then there are four more steps. Uh, I may have actually uh, combined some. Five is the uh, uh, external or internal, working with employees to look at Uh, those conversations that are similar to Action 3, I believe it was. Action 6 put together uh, that task force to review the results. We may use the same steering committee that's helping us to drive the work. Uh, 7 then synthesize all of this, and an 8 we'll be bringing back uh, somewhere around your uh, fall retreat or so, uh, information to you that will both uh, share this information, we may actually even do another interim report if you think that's warranted and we have the time, uh, uh, but share with you the, the conclusions and takeaways, but also uh, 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 propose action plans that may actually extend over uh, at least uh, several months, maybe even years, that line this up in a prioritized way. Uh, but definitely continue to advance our effort uh, uh, in this space. So So that's where we are. I I apologize I did that somewhat quickly. I know we still have a lot of things on our agenda, but uh, we threw out some questions here for you uh, to help to uh, guide us, uh, uh, but certainly you can offer other input as well. Uh, But we wanted to ask you, does this project plan uh, capture a baseline assessment, uh, to capture this baseline assessment uh, aligned with your vision uh, uh, from what, a lot of you have been um, uh, challenging us to do. Uh, does this, uh, would the assessment, set us up? Do you believe it would have set us up to actually do this work? Uh, are there focus areas that you uh, believe we should be include uh, should be included that are not currently captured, or that you didn't sense from what we've shared with you? Uh, is it proposed direction in terms of a draft coming to you uh, uh, consistent with your expectations? And then, are there specific areas you want us to include? So. Open to your feedback. Trustee
0: Hernandez, I
12: think you wanted
13: to jump in. I I was looking at this on the plane right back from Michigan yesterday, and uh, I couldn't jump up in my chair on the plane, but I was thinking the Rocky theme song or something and all of that, because this is really exciting. Um, It's wonderful to see everything come together. I want to talk to Henry a little bit after the meeting today, if I can. Uh, Because a lot of the material here aligns really well with what my firm has done historically around the inclusion scorecard for population health. Um, What I would just offer is that I think what you've built is the right framework because all of the pieces are represented in the literature on what a health equity playbook should be. The one additional lens through which we need to look at this is – once we begin to analyze data, let's say we find that there are disparities in outcomes around a specific issue. Uh, It could be diabetes, it could be heart disease, it could be any number of things. I think that your steering committee or your internal um, task force has to also look at how this is actually going to address that. And so you've, you're laying the framework, you're laying the, the uh, basis on which you can respond to that. But there also has to be an awareness of where those disparities may exist and target that. So um, in my presentation yesterday, one of the things that I learned was a group, uh, another health system, ProMedica, has done a lot of work on hunger and food deserts and the fact that uh, yes, they're doing some amazing things because as they looked at um, outcomes related to diabetes and other things, they found disparities. And so then that prompted the development of an entire plan on how to address uh, uh, food insecurity. So we also have to be willing to use um, the ICD-10 Z codes now that are on the social determinants mm-hmm. so that when we ask patients when we do intake, we'll be able to begin identifying those disparities or where we need to maybe focus more of our um, you know attention. So this gives us, I think, um, the uh, ability to respond. and now with this, we have to find those things that we need to address so. Thank you.
0: I appreciate that. What's an IZT?
13: It's a new um, (laughs) set of codes that you can use to enter about a patient, and they're not your typical things like you know about heart disease or about they're about hunger. They're about social determinants. Yeah, social
8: determinants. they're they're non billable
2: codes. Right. It's what doctors use to uh, oh. identify what the diagnosis is for a patient. And what she's referencing is is a uh, billable, or there's a classification of those codes that are, are
10: uh, um, reserved for things like social determinants. Thank, uh, Thank you. you. History of tobacco abuse. Mm-hmm. Use. Is a Z code. Yeah. Good don't know.
12: I, um, I'd love to spend some more time uh, and I'd love to chat with you as well but go through all of the assessment questions I found that uh, you know just skimming through them found them really um, comprehensive in that sense The I'm really interested in the qualitative data as well because um, part of the the uh, diversity equity inclusion efforts is holding the lens to what we do for our community and mm-hmm. for our, pa- our patient population, and one is holding a mirror to ourselves to see what are how inclusive we are in terms of like decision-making processes, you know, input on solutions, and all of that. Like, are we including, um, you know, um, by all of the intersections, you know, the, the, that we see? So um, this is this is very exciting. So thank you to. Um, that we have um, this opportunity with uh, you to be able to do this. It's been on the, uh, you know, it's been a priority for some time, yeah. but very, very
2: good. I, I have to say, I, I, yeah, I, I thank you for your feedback as well. Uh, we This has been a, an awakening for me too. Uh, I do not share publicly, but I, We'll probably talk to you, a couple of you confidentially. There's been, I think it's one of these things where when you get into this space, it opens up a lot more. So I'm waking up to a lot of uh, uh, opportunity here, but also I've been, uh, it's been sort of serendipitous that more is more is coming to fore uh, in terms of people proactively in the organization engaging me around uh, things like this as well. So I, I see nothing but... But upside, even though uh, the, a lot of this might be quite challenging, uh,
0: but it's, it, mm-hmm. it's important work,
12: and that's right. yeah. so it really it's challenging, yeah. work. and um, sorry. Um, so you know, I, I know our county had been doing work with uh, the Government Alliance for Racial Equity, that is gear And though it leads mm. very explicitly with race, it doesn't lead explicitly, but not exclusively with race, because when you take all the intersections and you you know whether it's um, education in uh, you know income or geography when you factor in race the outcomes are, are always so using that very as as an um, but some of those um, impact analysis things like uh, are very very key so the gear program that the county has been using i think we can find some of those too because then there's a little bit of similarity in some of the trainings that we do the leadership that we skills that we develop so um, so we might want to look at some of those um, assessment tools as well
3: thank you very much
0: yeah the city of oakland is using gear as well in its right. equity efforts which uh, started in earnest a couple of years ago um, and um, yes. we use
12: them on a national
11: level too cool. so um, yes the bullet number three i'll just put a form of questions I, I really don't have an idea about where this should go but we need to be watching um, senior management and Board of Trustees in terms of how we're doing. When I looked at the charts I don't think we're
2: It's it, in the internally leadership. yeah, yeah
11: mm-hmm. so internally probably not the place to have it at what we're looking at we need to be aware of that and I'll just say this out loud this um, when I was on the Measure A committee it's interesting when you have an appointee approach to um, a governing board it's really easy to, to lose focus on uh, the dis, dis, uh, diversity of your, your committee or your governing board because you're looking at appointees one I at, at a time. So I just think we should find a way to put a form of question. How do we actually account for um, having uh, an eye on uh, inclusion within the board mm-hmm. and in senior management? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
12: Airport. I think in the in the recruitment thing, we've been very um, when we've had we've had the recruitment thoughtful and things, we've been very thoughtful about it, mm-hmm. and that has been on that subcommittee
11: as well. Uh, yeah, to be blunt, though, my concern is that that process also involves the board of supervisors, and I think they share A value for this. Yeah. But yeah. again, it it could be a process issue, <clears throat> and uh, over time, we can lose focus on it. So. Finding a way to make sure this is intentional.
17: Great. <clears throat> you yeah, know, I think this is great work. It's exciting. Um, I guess just kind of building off of what Trustee Hernandez was was saying. I think, you know, thinking starting internally first makes all the sense in the world. From you know all the staff, line staff, all the way up to leadership, making sure that we're reflective of the community that we're serving. Um, but I think having that as a as a framework to then start to do deeper dives into some of the clinical outcomes um, and other um, social outcomes that we may be looking at as an organization, I think is really critical. Um, and so that we are, that we're engaging the community to help us contextualize and understand the data so that we're not just looking at spreadsheets and making assumptions about why there's particular disparities, mm-hmm. but that to the extent we've set up uh, patient advisory committees or structure for focus groups, that that becomes the space and sort of the opportunity to hold that space to have those conversations to really help us interpret better so that our response can be um, more rooted.
11: In, in that, that level of understanding.
17: Yeah.
6: Thank
13: you. You might even consider not just our system but for the county as a whole in partnership with public health a community health equity council that gives that perspective because I think we have to be careful as um, has been stated very well it's one thing to look at stats and you know reports it's another to hear the lived experience that people have and so that becomes a much harder, Um, thing to do consistently, but having some sort of a a mechanism like that shared between us and, say, public health maybe. It
2: takes time, but it has arrived. Yeah. Okay. So we thank you Aye. for the feedback. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut off. I no, respect no. your time. Um, thank you for the feedback. We will, we will continue to bring you forward. And I, uh, um, yeah, we will more than happily make Henry available to you. <laughs> uh, Adrian was sitting next to him, but I guess he did. He had to leave. Uh, I was going to introduce. We have, so the, for the first time, I'm happy to say, um, we also have an administrative fellow. Uh, uh, um, uh, for the organization a uh, young man who will be with us for 18 months he came to us from uh, duke uh raleigh duke mm-hmm. uh, uh i should know this i am going to do uh, but adrian lewis uh <laughs> is going to be with us for 18 months and we uh, uh work with the national center for health care leadership through their uh, um, uh, national um, uh, system of administrative residences around the country and, and, and starting one. so we'll see how this pilot goes uh, we're nice. excited uh, and also again uh, kudos and thanks thank to um, uh, Lisa Marie May and uh and for leaving this afternoon so uh, So you'll we'll hear more about Adrian where he's doing his round now we're going have him busy and may end up having to take up uh, where Adrian uh, where where Henry leaves off when he goes back to school. So, thank Great.
7: you very
0: much. Thank you. All right, F two. Status of the fiscal year twenty twenty operating capital budgets. Um, wow, so um, we don't have a budget. <laughs> <laughs> that's our status uh, as i stated earlier we want to have one by the end of august um i know the staff is doing a lot of work with uh with directors and 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 really drilling down and looking for savings i think um there's uh, uh I think there's a lot of movement going on and and we and i, I really think that uh, as i said earlier um we need to honor the commitment and bring forward um both a budget and some requests to the county um, about about where we're going with this um they are very keen on us uh securing our own assessment and i believe we have a uh, uh an rfp going out um by uh, rfq pardon me, going out that um to a handful of, of uh, qualified potential applicants right three uh, three and um I just think
11: um, uh, I could say something about that please please do yeah thank you so uh, this relates to um, well I I think a lot of stakeholders who have suggested uh, internal and external stakeholders has suggested that we uh, hire uh, financial consultant who can help us look at again back to that the comments I had about the sort of the micro uh, Mm -hmm. economics of of our system, uh, look at uh, revenue collection. Look at um, where we're, how we're doing with uh, expense control and so forth. Um, as well as some of the bigger questions around um, our relation, how we're organized, how we're governed, our relationship with the county, uh, the uh, debt relationship we have with the county, the way that works. Having someone look at that objectively give us some feedback about where we, we fit. Um, and so we, uh, three of us have been working on that. Uh, the RFQ should go out early next week. I believe we're, we're done with input. We're very close. And that should go out and hopefully we'll have um, someone on board pretty quickly. Um,
0: but I think we should also make clear that that's not going to give us the answer we need Correct.
11: in August. And so. Um, yeah, th- thank you. It's, it's yeah. really a longer term uh, yeah. process, three months at the least.
1: And, and
13: so do we have the ability to, I'm sorry, do we have the ability to make any decision without that other bit of information? If you're wanting to make the decision in August, I'm, I'm
0: just going to. We yes. have to. Yeah, I mean, and I think yeah. that
1: um, <laughs> okay, the so, unless it's written by a tax code, seven. then <laughs> I'm really
13: going to gonna doubt that. I mean, why ETA August? Why, why do we have to do that? Mm-hmm. So people, yes. Well,
0: mm-hmm. we're, I mean, we're, we, we're supposed to have a budget by um, June 30th, um, and um, we don't. <laughs> yeah, so we're in, we're, we're in violation of our bylaws. Uh, we're, we're into the new fiscal year. And Decisions have to be made, uh, and we have to um, we have to know what needs to be done in order to to do it in a timely manner so even when we were when staff presented those more draconian cuts to us um, it, that were delayed until January um, there's a huge process that has to go into, a, into motion to make those cuts. And for this beelinson hearings and things like that. And of course, we, we really don't want to end service lines. And, and um, but we, we, we can't, uh, we, we need to keep this conversation active and we need to uh, I mean I'll I'll say right now I I mean it's pretty obvious to me that we will be asking the county to um, uh, relax the net negative balance uh, at least temporarily uh, which gives us some room but it doesn't solve the structural deficit Uh, it doesn't solve the potential reimbursement problems that that we're facing Um, we don't know what's going to happen with um, uh, with the waiver and things like that dish um, but um, we 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 have to come up with something. I know there's there's some good work being done around um, uh, mental health, uh, behavioral health, behavioral health, and, and reimbursements. Um, I know there's some work being done around um, with the public uh, California public hospitals. Yes. Um, and I don't know if you want to speak to that today or not. I yeah, yeah, but yeah. we we can't just not have a budget um, and. Um, I think the supervisors that we're meeting with are very interested in what else we come up with. They're very dedicated to this system. Um, And so we've got the short-term crisis and we have a long-term problem. And we have to address both at the same time.
17: Is there a part of this scope that is addressing the short-term crisis, or is it all about the
11: long-term? a little, bit, a little bit louder. <laughs> I think the short answer is no, because of the timing. You know, we have to go through a process to select uh, a consultant. And uh, there's no process that is reasonable that we have that person on board uh, tomorrow. Um, we have a really quick process. The so three of us are going to be available to, to make a selection and make a recommendation to, to, to the board. But it, yeah, I, I, I just don't think it's realistic. And I'll say this, too, just to add to to, uh, what our board president just shared. I think it's it's, um, tempting to think that there's a silver bullet somewhere. There's not. We're in a uh, bigger context here, uh, bigger context in terms of the health of public hospitals. And uh, we we are going to have to deal with that Mm -hmm. and simultaneously try to figure out if we can squeeze out more revenue and expenses over time um, as the situation gets worse. I don't think we have the luxury of, I'll just say this, the, 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 the paradox is, the longer we wait to take tough action, very difficult action no one here wants to take, the worse it gets, because then you have to, your cuts have to be larger. Um, the, the, the more you wait.
17: I guess the point of my question was just in the interest of sort of like okay. transparency and managing expectations, just for ourselves and with our partners. We have three consultants that are going to be retained to assist. Uh, well, assist one, one, two no, one with one. Oh, oh, sorry, Thank two you. Are sorry. already. Sorry, right? There's it, there's one with the board there.
0: supervisors and, and the uh, auditor have already their folks in place, they're already doing their work. Right. Correct?
2: Uh, So the auditor, um, uh, my last communication with her yesterday was that the uh, NGO will be reaching out to us this week. Yeah. Uh, So they haven't reached out to us
3: yet, but this week.
17: And so I guess my question is about us as a a board of trustees, is is there any of this that we think is going to assist us with our process with the immediate crisis and decision-making or not? If they are ahead,
12: I mean, I hope the county will I think share we, that, that. I think that. we
11: know the answer to that. There was a report out, maybe one of the trustees who was at the health committee could report on this. But I, my understanding is that the uh, consultant that the county's retained is not going to be ready in, right. within a month to provide information. Is that correct? No,
7: and, they, and at the Monday meeting, they said that they, um, Colleen Shaw reported that they had not been able to they had not received any information from AHS um, whether or not that that was coming from the consultant from Toyon or not but um, it, it it was presented a little bit differently that okay. it was no, no, no. I mean it was presented just a little it, a bit differently and I can share the report most people um, Terry sent out the the agenda and the attachments I think so right. you can see it in there but it was
11: Maybe we
7: should let staff present
2: it a little bit differently. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't there. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, we did have staff there, and I, I got a debrief on it. Uh, uh, Colleen, uh, the same report that Terry shared with you all. She did share with me.
0: So, big, I don't know if your mic is just not no, working. No, no. I, I, I yeah, I really no, is. No, I
2: really have to. I'm using <laughs> it not that are soft-spoken. Yeah, sorry it's, about that. Yeah, I'm
0: a loud mouth, and my mic's great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have <laughs> never been called soft-spoken. Thank yeah. you. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, I did take a slight issue with the report, but I will share from what I understood. Um, so this is the first uh, group uh, that is sort of out of the gate is Toyon. Toyon, uh, specifically uh, the work with the county, uh, is zero in on behavioral health. And it was uh, first about uh, PES specifically, because that was the area that we were uh, uh, having the challenge, or or putting as a potential risk here. Um, Back in late May, I guess, um, and this said argument that's accurate, the county asked us for additional data. Uh, As we said, that that contribution of margin analysis we had done was a rough order of magnitude, but we were continuing our analysis. So by the end of June, June 25th to be specific, we finished the deeper dive, and we provided that data to the county. Uh, who then provided it to Torian. Uh, a week or two later, Torian asked us for additional source information so that they could do their own assessment. And it took uh, about another week, uh, week and a half for us to turn that information around, largely because I was out of town. That was my, my fault. Uh, but it took, I was out of town for a week, and when we, I got back, I worked, worked with Ann and we were able to turn that over to them. Uh, what they reported was they asked for the information in May, they didn't get anything to July, which is just a little bit less nuanced than I think is uh, uh, accurate. But nonetheless, they do have the information, or at least uh, we understand they have the information that they asked for, Over they're doing that analysis so that then what we believe, and in fact when we turn it over to them uh, or the additional data in July, part of the reason it took a little bit more time too is we extrapolated beyond PES and did all of PSYCH. And mm-hmm. so what we provided to them was now data for all of PSYCH the source data behind all of that information. So we provided even more uh, so that because our belief is and in fact we're losing uh, from a contribution margin a uh, uh, perspective uh, both in inpatient psych and in PES. And so we're hoping that this will inform our contract negotiations with County Behavioral Health uh, to uh, adjust the rates for uh, the, the uh, uh, inpatient and psych services. And that's what the goal, or at least our goal, is. Uh, hopefully, their their goal aligns uh, with that. And I guess it's some indication, but I can't say that with absolute certainty.
0: Can you put a dollar amount on that? Uh,
2: forty one, forty two million dollars.
12: That we are losing on psych fish.
2: combined.
11: Yeah,
12: combined amazing. PES
2: it's and psych and uh, So we're going to
11: discuss this tomorrow. Yes right. 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 I'm going right. to give you a whole presentation about that was, tomorrow. Th- those yeah. numbers are yeah. pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, right, so, just to kind of I, I, I'm
0: not sure how far down this rabbit hole we want to go tonight.
2: Can I, Can I just offer some context for you relative to just the broader picture, just so and hopefully that will inform some of the questions you may have. So. Internally, where we stand, um, um, because we still have to operate the organization, and we really just got to carry forward, which is hard to actually implement. I'll be uh, um, uh, correct with you or clear with you there. So effectively, what we did was we took the budget that we presented to you, and we took out the big pieces. That put us at a negative 1.4 percent, 1.47 percent of EBITDA, and that has been the work that we've been uh, modeling and working with all the different departments to say. Tell us how you will actually implement this, and then we can bless them. Uh, assuming there are no problems, go forward and implement. And that is the work that we're doing right now. Uh, where we are asking or finding problems, or if we are finding problems, uh, uh, we are holding off on that and looking into it. We have actually have had in discussions with some departments where they said. You know, it's actually somewhat perturbed we get to talk to you again because we realize that we made a mistake and we left some um, pieces out that should be included that were already contractually obligated or what have you. So so some of the work has been kind of going slightly north. Some of it we've been finding some additional savings in terms of our modeling, so it's been a kind of an up and down. But we're roughly still in that about 1.47% um, uh, even margin level, I think, as of uh, Monday, I think is the latest time we did budget oversight. I want to say another thing that uh, I say with some trepidation but I think it's important for you to know um, we have been continuing to do work with CAPH and with Nancy who st- we still continue to engage to continue to scour all of our funding sources, what are some opportunities we have you may know we've talked about AB85 for a lot of years here and for the first couple of years of the program we either haven't gotten any money or we got money and we're having to turn it right back around and give it back, that has been the kind of MO, MO since FY15 we're now in fy 20. (coughs) FY18 is being, and it gets finally reconciled two years hence. So we're in the process now of reconciling FY18 and we did a preliminary reconciliation in May. It was due in May and it suggested that uh, uh, we were going to have the same experience, that it would be $0 again. We've been scrubbing that a little bit more. This has been the work we've been doing with CAPH and Nancy and it looks like there may be a slight possibility that we have a more favorable circumstance and it could be significant it could be a couple of million dollars uh, which would certainly help us we are not confident enough we have a lot of questions and staff have to go back and keep doing this very convoluted work which involves looking at multiple years and things like that but we will tell you uh, uh, that if that pans out to be true uh, that that may then suggest a different um, uh, ability on our part to forecast uh, what might happen in 19 where we just got an additional $28 million that the state didn't sweep that ordinarily we would have said that's all going back. Maybe that won't be the case. Uh, but we're still trying to figure that out. As soon as we know, we'll let you know. Mm-hmm. So there is a glimmer of hope. Uh, But we're not modeling it yet because they're still doing the analysis to figure out how true or how reliable that is, partly because whenever we do, we want to be careful not to come to you two years hence and say, we missed something, all that money is going back, and all we've done is compounded a problem that we structurally uh, uh, still have. So we're doing that work. We'll let you know about that. Um, We are also, uh, in addition to working with CAPH and uh, Nancy and supporting your work to get an outside consultant, we are looking at getting some uh, expertise that can help us. And I want to thank the county, actually. Rebecca Gephardt recommended an entity who had been talking to AHS before I arrived. And we had a meeting with them about a week and a half ago now and really laid out kind of some of how we see our uh, challenges. Uh, they are experts at Medicaid throughout the nation. Uh, they do work with county, uh, the county in behavioral health. And we're doing some expo- exploration to see if there may be some collaborative opportunity we could have yeah. to address and, our And, and this challenges is actually
11: well. the more important uh, yeah. work, I think quite frankly mm-hmm. the consultant that we're talking about you know is this is more higher level i really um, i really think it's right here it's this revenue collection piece and mm-hmm. having someone dive in there look at that there have been a lot of internal questions about it and i think you know hopefully we can find some gems
2: i hope so i hope so 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 that's where we are and uh, you know as, as i said as soon as we know If we, and I want to really uh, calibrate this, uh, depending on how uh, um, optimistic we can get with some degree of certainty, the impact of uh, both now Figuring out that there's an opportunity from FY18 AB85 to then extrapolating that to 19 and 20, which in this year 20, we're going to get about 40,
10: Six
2: point seven. $46.7 million dollars, because the state is not sweeping any of it from the county, and that's generally about the amount that the county uh, funds for uh, public health uh, through this um, uh, 1991 realignment piece. Well, I'm sorry, through healthcare services, not uh, public health. Um, we would get uh, there's a potential if we if this all looks right that we may actually be able to forecast that we can keep a significant amount of that money and that would clearly help out our situation wouldn't help us necessarily well in this case it helps us cash flow wise because they didn't sweep it and we'll have the cash we will both be able to book it on our income statement and have it on our balance sheet without worrying about the risk that two years later it'll all go back or le- worrying significantly less that it'll all go back The last thing I'll say about all of this is because of all of this uncertainty, really what I hope and I want to applaud your work um, um, here uh, is that it really takes us having, notwithstanding the fact that we're in authority, a relationship um, uh, with the county that continues to recognize that with all of this uncertainty, when the uncertainty hits us in a negative way, that we have to have the backstop not just be a, you float you alone because then you'll pay it back because that may not be a bankable reality. Uh, but when it, it's favorable, we can all work together to celebrate that, use it appropriately, and things like that. So so I hope that we I can come back to you and say this work has pr- produced some more favorable outlook for not just the short term, but even potentially down the road a little bit more. We will, irrespective of any of this, meet. The first part of what you said, I think that given what we expect with the prior year waiver payment, uh, some other uh, liabilities we have with some prior year uh, physician uh, payments, that uh, looks like we may have to pay back some $40 million. These things just pop up, and this is from, um, um, you know, these things just pop up here and there. And this is from 2006 to 2013. Uh, so none of us were around, or maybe some of us had just come around.
3: Nope, no. Uh, yeah, exactly. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> it hits us, and then what are you going to do? You have to do it, and so we just we need to have a relationship where people understand that we can we can hold everybody accountable as much as possible, and we understand that. But at the end of the day, we have to work together to figure something out. So,
0: trustees, Jensen. Um,
7: I just wanted to clarify that there. I actually found three consultants to participate in. Um, had it provided another name, so I believe there should be four, no, and um, I think and to um, uh, five actually, but maybe there. If there that was just for me. Maybe there's more. there, there are definitely one. four, yeah, yeah. But certainly, um, if anyone has any suggestions, that let um, you can let Lewis know or Luis and Lewis. And
11: yeah, quickly you know.
7: though. Yeah, <laughs> and the other thing um, that it. it, it This um, the scope will include uh, uh, independent review and analysis of revenue projections and expenses for this year and next year, and really to be clear, it's something that we're doing that this board's doing. Although it's being done in other um, by other entities, by other governmental agencies, and both of the agencies that are doing it suggested that we do it. It's part of our fiduciary responsibility too. So um, we could. I'm sure we could. Gather their data and use their data, and and it will be it'll be excellent reporting. But to be to be um, effective, we need to
12: do it. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. That's what you. The AB85. When do you expect to know a little bit more about it? Like do you
2: so, uh, um, the the analysis is continuing. We got the. Um, We got the report from CAPH last Thursday, I believe it was. Uh, um, And um, our main person who does it internally has been out this week. She's back on Monday. And um, uh, Nancy has been working with her. We've been in communication with Nancy. uh, over the past couple of weeks including this week and so uh we'll be working with that team to try to prioritize this uh and move other things off the plate if we can so that we can try to get the response as soon as possible so i don't, I don't know but um, i'm hoping that maybe another week uh, might might actually give us a little bit more clarity yeah. uh,
0: if people are okay i'd like to move into the vision uh portion absolutely yeah and uh, Luis, you did um, a, like, a great job at the finance committee. You went really, really fast through the kind of the overview, <laughs> and then you drilled down to the parts where we got to go, whoa. So, <laughs> do that again. <laughs> do I will do that. I will do that. and I w- Do you need I, me to get you a cup of coffee? I am fine. Because you were like, talking like the FedEx guy on those TV commercials back in the 80s. It was really cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to get some tea so I can keep up. No, okay. sounds good. So, <laughs> so uh,
9: I've got this uh, this presentation here. So just to set some context very quickly, if you if you all recall, we engaged with Vizient in December of 2017. This was a, a contract that was comprised of two major components. Com- component number one was the THE uh, ACTUALLY, I'M SORRY, uh, I KNOW THAT uh, TRUSTEE LIVERY BACK TO it. BEFORE I ACTUALLY GET ON THIS PRESENTATION, I WANT TO TAKE ONE MINUTE TO, uh, to, to MAKE AN ANNOUNCEMENT THAT I, I THINK YOU GUYS ARE ALREADY AWARE BUT I WANT TO PUBLICLY ANNOUNCE AND COMMUNICATE THAT uh, ONE OF OUR VERY OWN LEADERS IS um, transitioning away from our organization back to the county where I initially stole her from I mean I uh, recruited her from <laughs> and and uh, so uh, dr. Karen Tribble uh, who is our CEO of behavioral health is uh, going back to the county and will be uh, uh, the director of behavioral health care services and so uh, I you know she has been Phenomenal over the last two and a half years. uh, I've had the privilege to work very closely with her and she has uh, truly taken on uh, from day one when she came on board through today two and a half years of of heavy lifting of a tremendous amount of work revamping and reevaluating the services that are provided at John George as we Discuss in many different settings including, including QPSC. It's a very very complex environment and she's had to Uh, really essentially rebuild the entire framework and the entire structure of John George and uh, the the work uh, certainly continues but we have a very solid and strong foundation that she has laid and now I look at it from from you know the glass half-full perspective is that uh, we have yet another uh, wonderful resource uh, in the county that has experienced and has very intimate knowledge of the challenges and the difficulties that we deal with, ETRR, with at, uh, at John George Health ETRR, and can, can hopefully minutes. continue to help us not level only continue uh, to provide great ETRR care and access ETRR, to the patients ETRR, here at, uh, at within our system, but also seeing how we can continue to expand beyond the four walls of our system and really care for that very vulnerable population. So I, I want to personally thank her for uh, the wonderful past two and a half years and uh, I've got her direct number, so I'm good to go. But uh, I want to thank her for that. <laughs> So uh, that said, uh, uh, transitioning to, to as I was mentioning, so the busy end uh, Contract, there was two components. Component number one was the GPO or the Group Purchasing Organization, which is what we're leveraging to manage all of our contracts for our supply spend. The second component was a suite of analytical tools that were intended to provide us with greater clarity and visibility into our operations. And so there was, there was a variety of tools, and so we're going to kind of quickly go through all those here. So this was my retrospective review of kind of giving you an update of how we're progressing and how we're m- moving forward with those tools. But before I did that, I wanted to link this. Uh, uh, Trustee Bouquet, in in his meetings, and he actually referenced it in his update or report from last month, he shared an article. And those five points that he mentioned are are listed here. And this gives you a sense of how we, as an organization, uh, operate and and manage, uh, you know, day-to-day activities to make sure that we're being fiscally responsible. And so there's a tremendous amount of work. And so, you know, we started fiscal year 19 with a 30 million dollar deficit there was a you know we, we had identified and uh, a challenge uh, within our our calculations and so we had this structural deficit that doesn't resolve itself or it doesn't happen by coincidence it's tremendous work and effort put in by the staff to really drive you know that performance and doing so in these various areas here Uh, as we're looking at not cutting support staff but making sure that we have the appropriate skill mix Uh, under investing in space or managing our space utilization and so we've done a lot of work in our clinic space where we've moved clinics from one location to another to improve access things of that nature equally with our operating rooms and we heard dr. Ingenio made a comment earlier but we're working through all those things what makes the most sense how do we leverage the various assets that we have within the organization to make sure that we can provide those services in the right place at the right time and so uh, we're looking at shifting and moving certain procedures from Highland to San Leandro, so then we can decompress Highland and, and perform other more complex procedures here because of the uh, variety of services that we provide, and so on and so forth. So great, great work in those areas. Focusing on, on, on procurement pricing, if you recall, part of the Vizian contract under the GPO was that we had a guaranteed savings of $7.78 million. That was all driven off of our supply spend. Well last year and, and after one full year of their performance, they exceeded their initial target for that one year and we, we were over six million dollars. So they're easily gonna uh, surpass, we collectively as partners are going to surpass this seven million dollar target. Uh, maximizing patient throughput, we talk about that all the time. And I'm glad to hear in some of the reports earlier today that we're, we're starting to see the fruits of that labor. And it's evidenced by what we're seeing in our data and the performance of the organization we have not experienced the number of surge events or you know uh, uh, surge capacity events over the last couple months as we were previously but yet our admissions remain flat so this is not that oh it's because we're seeing less people Uh, our admissions remain flat it's that we're moving patients a little bit more efficiently throughout the system and lastly failing to benchmark well that's exactly what we're doing with these tools. Mm-hmm. And so that's the focus, to make sure that we have a guide. Now, these tools and these benchmarks, uh, you know, take many variables into consideration. But one of the things that I want to make sure it's clear is that, you know, the, the, these aren't intended to be punitive or or directed at anything. They're, they're, if anything, they're providing us some clarity and giving us a direction to do a deeper dive into those areas to make sure that we are considering the multiple elements that impact our organization. And so some of the data that we see here, again, it's raw data as it relates to as, as, uh, what, how our performance compared to the benchmarks, but yet it does not take into consideration that deeper dive that says, well, you know, in this particular case, we're seeing uh, a length of stay that is beyond what we would expect to see in the industry benchmarks. But we need to then drill down and say, ah, this patient was actually homeless, or this patient had all these other com- complexities, or so there's more to do. But at least it gives us that, it shines the light on the issue, and then we can continue to drill down and dive deeper. So going into the tools, these are the set of tools that we have. We've got the Savings Actualizer. That is the tool that is leveraging and looking at all of our contracts. So we have contracts under with Visient, with, with all of our suppliers, and this is looking at making sure that we're in the right tier that based on our supply spend, we make adjustments to that. And if we are are consolidating or standardizing across our sites and our spend goes up in that category, the tier then improves. And so this system allows us to make sure that we stay on top of that and that we don't have any missed opportunities. Clinical database and service line analytics starts getting into the quality and the performance of how we are delivering that care and then being able to drill down to the service line level. Operational database starts looking at productivity. That's looking at our staffing and our human resources and how we're moving the organization forward. Data links is, is, is really more of a be- behind the scenes uh, tool, which is looking at cleansing the data, making sure that what we are referencing, and as we're lo- using savings actualizer, we're looking at contracts. When I have something that says, you know, um, you know large gloves, you know, if, if, we're, if we're using nomenclature that says you know, large gloves or LRG gloves or LG gloves, it r- reconciles all that and says, oh, these are all the same thing, and we need to make sure we're looking at that together. So it's a, it's a cleanser and a tool. The procedural analytics then takes us down to the detailed level by procedure, by APDRG, by provider, by service line. I mean, it really drills down to the lowest level. And so we're we're leveraging some of those uh, tools. This is here essentially trying to say, you know, how they all come together. They all work together. We have key questions that we're asking every day as we're managing operations. And as we're asking those questions, these tools are intended to help us provide some light and some answers for that. So where are we at as an organization? Uh, what's in green is, has already been implemented. Those in yellow are in progress. Uh, and in red, uh, we have one. And it's not because we've failed to do anything. It's, that's largely dependent on our, our, our go live with EPIC. Once we go live with EPIC, then we'll have access to certain data that allows us to get down to that granular level. In all the other areas, the only two that we have in yellow, it's only, again, because we were able to do this at some of our facilities, not all of them due to data access issues. And so once we go live with Epic, that really does, you know that's a barrier that goes away and we'll have much more uh, information to work with. So just to give you a sense of the comparison, and you have this in your in your reports, but just what I want to highlight here is that, there are various categories of compare groups. Yeah, okay. So we want to make sure that there's fidelity, two, that there's trust and confidence in the data that we're doing, that we're using one. and comparing against. You have different cohorts of groups. Team. So you have community Number groups. Two, yeah.
1: has yeah. been to a level one.
9: So we have community hospitals, we have academic medical centers, we have complex medical centers, we have large complex medical centers. And so we, based on the comparison, based on those
0: statistics that we have there, we fall into the category of complex care hospitals. And so I want to jump in here really quick. When we were meeting with Supervisor Chan, she asked about this, um, and it's, Pass this on to her staff. So we are being compared to other apples, um, and and I absolutely because later in you'll see data that is shocking, and it's compared to similar systems. Exactly. So
16: one of the questions Mm -hmm. I have here before we move on is when you get to that other slide, is there any is there any adjustment made for the you know cost of living variables? You know, like for instance, Southern California pays substantially lower wages than Northern California? Absolutely. So that is part
9: of the comparisons and part of the, when, when you're looking at the data, the data is statistically significant, uh-huh. and the data is also cleansed and normalized for some of these variables and factors. And so when, what I'm showing here is of this entire cohort of 70 hospitals, 70-plus 70 hospitals, you know, I gave you a list of some that are equally very similar to us in the fact that they're either safety net hospitals or they're part of the uh, America's Essential Hospitals, which is very similar to the population, you know, they they treat populations very similar to what we uh, encounter every single day. And so that's absolutely correct. Part of the analysis and part of the algorithms that are built into the system when we're doing the comparisons is that they're taking all these different factors into consideration. Specifically, for example, here in California, although some of the hospitals aren't in California, we have nurse staffing ratios. So it normalizes the data to say, well, but you know what, in California, you need to have X many nurses for this particular population. In Washington, you don't. And so they normalize with those. So there's a lot of normalization that happens behind the scenes to make sure that we have as close as possible to an apples-to-apples comparison. Nothing that is exact, the ER. but they are very, very close. And it makes it meaningful,
12: and it gives us that direction to move forward. Level two,
7: ETA, I have a question before you move on from from the um, procurement area. hmm uh, So, um, it's a lot of the procurement process is, is labor intensive, and this is addressing part of that. Is that correct? Just reducing the, the amount of labor for procurement. Uh, the,
9: these tools aren't. Uh, these tools don't have a direct impact on on the process itself. It gives us information on how we're negotiating and how we're how our pricing is compared to other entities or you know similar organizations that have similar spans similar volumes and similar you know use of of, of those supplies okay so this is nothing to do with the process itself of how we go about the rfp or the right. you know po issuance or anything like that
7: so does it have anything to do with how we allocate um purchases at all like whether it, what i've found in public uh, um public agencies is that Often you'll get grants, you have general fund. you have grants, you have other sources of funding, and when you purchase something, you may want to allocate it to a certain fund or a certain grant or somewhere, and that's kind of labor intensive. So my question about this system is whether it will affect any of that, any of the... No,
9: okay. no, no. So it, regardless of the funding stream or the mechanism by which we're paying, this is just intended to make sure that we're getting the best price, right. okay. that we're working through Thanks. that. So this is what exactly this, uh, this uh, slide reflects. And so I wanted to just, I had to narrow this down, and so I figured you know this was an area of interest for me because as I monitor and manage our, our monthly expenses and we look at the monthly variances, and so I, over the last several months, I had noticed that we had uh, a great opportunity and that we had seen a significant increase in our implant costs. So and I said, hey, I'm gonna do- drill down here a little bit, and I wanna look at just one of these implants, and this is just hips, okay? So when we're looking at hips, uh, in those implants. What this slide reflects here is you have uh, the, the circle is telling us what our, what our current sh- market share is. So uh, of our, our spend, we're, we're purchasing all of our hips from two vendors, Depew and Ortho Development. Of that, 85% is Depew, and then the 15% is Ortho Development. So this is telling us that, okay, well, we've maximized and we're looking at leveraging this particular vendor. What the next graph shows us is what our spend is by facility and as a system, and as it, it's hard to see there, but when you look at it, it shows that as a health system, we're at the 84.7 or 85th percentile. What that means is that 85% of all other hospitals in that comparison group are getting better pricing than we are, okay? So this then now tells us, ah, okay, we're gonna we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have a conversation, Cynthia, uh, to say uh, uh, let's 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 review our pricing. And so, but this is the data that now we're able to see because we have it in aggregate, and it's the visibility that the tool provides. So this is the value and the power of what we're seeing here.
3: Wait, can you go back? Yes,
9: sir.
0: So that that's the 84.7 percent at Alameda Health System. Right? Yes. What are the green diamonds floating up there at 88.4 and 88.6? Is that Alameda and San Leandro hospitals cost? Correct.
9: So when we're looking at that, we're seeing that as a system, you're looking at the average of all three. But independently, at Alameda, at San Leandro, we're paying higher than what we pay at Highland. Now again, that could be because of volume. We do much more procedures here than we do there.
0: But why so, wouldn't we just buy them all here and just send it over there? Well,
9: that's, that's, those are the things that we need to look at and say, how do we partner with the vendor and say, you know what, I'm here on this tier irrespective, I'm buying this as a system, not as a facility. And so, but again, some of these contracts I and mean, a lot of these things are, that are in place, uh, you know, we, we need to revisit and reevaluate them. And so that's, that's part of the, the analysis and part of the value of leveraging these tools. So then we take that, so this is just to give you a sense of what the, the, if you recall, the savings actualizer. Now we're transitioning and I'm saying I'm still, I'm gonna, through the whole presentation, I stay with HIPS, and I say now we're gonna see how this aligns with clinical our clinical database. So how are we now leveraging and using these implants to provide care? What this is presenting here is this is looking at a total number of cases performed here at Highland. So 49 cases here at Highland. And when you're looking at this, there were different providers. I, I actually cleansed, this is actual data and actual providers, and so I cleansed it so I didn't want to put anyone on blast. I just, you know, this is just data that we have here. And so we have uh, a few providers, and as you can see, the information as you read it is you're looking at the, the top table is all of our current providers. You have the mean observed length of stay versus what's expected. And then you have your length of stay index, which is in comparison to the expected, how well did we do? As you can see, in all of these categories, we're quite a bit over. As a health system and overall, we're at 7.22 versus an expected of 3.5. But that's even against a compared benchmark of 2.5, 2.47.
0: So uh, again, we, we see here that we have opportunities. So for people to understand, our average hip replacement person stays in a bed for 7.22 days, right? That is correct.
10: When when the summary data suggests amongst all these hospitals, it should be about 3.53. No, 205. No, no, that's an index. That's
0: the index. Okay, it's so it should be 3.3. So still.
10: So that means we're double. So, yeah, double. Yeah, so we're yeah. double. Yeah, the, yeah, the index. Yeah. How much is a
0: hospital bed per
10: day? About 3,500. Okay. okay,
13: but now we're getting into that yeah. horrible quagmire of the Perverse incentives. Don't we want people to be with us for a longer period of time?
10: No, we no. It? no. because we get a DRG for. Uh, I mean, we, we we get we get ten thousand bucks for this hit. Right.
7: Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. So
10: we, every hospital day we so, just eat it.
13: So we should be mm. at that level. We're not in a pay. We're not in a fee-for-service in this situation.
2: No, no we are. Mm. The fee-for-service is capitated. Okay. The payment arrangement. Yeah. is at a case rate, not at a
9: per diem. It's it's based on, it's really based on a flat rate per diem, right? So if I get paid, I get get for this particular procedure, I get paid, like uh, Dr. Bouquet said, we get paid $10,000. I get paid $10,000 if he's here for 3.5 days or, or 7.2 days. It doesn't matter, I'm getting the same. So it behooves
0: us to get to that point. So that's the important. For one of our providers, their average length of stay is 11 days. So,
10: so as a clinician, this actually provides an outlier view for, for managing your team,
9: right? right. Exactly. Yeah. This is what it's intended to do, and then it, it will help inform. And again, this is a tool that's going to be used housewide. We're going to be looking to our physician leaders, our chairs and chiefs, to use this information to say, "Hmm, let me look at my entire team, and where do we have some opportunities? What's the reason for the variability?" What in here? What you know? The importance here is that all of these providers see the same types of patients. So it's not that oh well, it's because that one that has an 11 uh, you know length of stay is because he sees. Only the homeless. No, no, they all see the same patients, and so that's important. So that's what this is showing. And then you go down the line, and you look at mortality, which we do wonderful, which is great. But then the next, the last column is what's important. Yeah. Look at our our 30-day readmission. 30-day readmission is one of our True North Metric Dashboard metrics that we look at. And when you're looking at, at these the two providers account for 25% of those readmissions. That's concerning. So why is that? And we need to drill down, right? So it's not, it may not be anything that they're doing. It may be that you know, we need to enhance social work, we need to enhance post-discharge instructions, we need to enhance support, those types of things, right? So there's a lot, but again, it gives you the information. Now I transition and and leveraging, again, still the clinical database is giving us an example of, now when you're looking at the discharges, so we just looked at the length of stay and we saw that we are double the the, the, what the, the metric is. Here it's telling us, at what point in time after the procedure do we discharge the patient either to home or do we discharge the patient to a skilled nursing facility? As you can see in the benchmark, which is the green line, by day one, they've discharged 60% of their population. By day two, they're up to above 80. It takes us seven days to get close to 80%. So that's the correlation, that's the, the link when you're saying, wow, you know, we have an opportunity here, we need to look at this. So that's what we're trying to drill down and understand and make sure we dissect. Now we transition into the service line analytics. So the service line analytics, what you're seeing here in this, in this picture, I actually took snippets of multiple screens. So the top line, what you see in the top line, is the high level. So that's telling me by department, by service line. So I've got highlighted, because we're looking at hips, I've got highlighted orthopedics. Then when I click on orthopedics, it then opens up the middle section, which tells me, okay, are you looking at hips, knees, you know, trauma, this, that, blah, blah, blah. So I look at everything, and I said, I, I want to just look at hips. When I click on hips, then it opens up the bottom section, which then I blew up the little box that gives us those true metric comparisons of how we're doing based on you know what is our performance in relationship to based on how much we're paying for the implant what the cost is for, the, for performing those procedures based on our providers length of stay all those things so we have some a couple of green dots where you know one of them is in hospital acquired conditions awesome great quality we want to make sure we don't have hospital acquired <laughs> conditions but we have a lot of red there that says hmm we need to negotiate our pricing we need to be more efficient we got to reduce some of the variability and we got to improve our length of stay right mm-hmm. and that's what's driving mm-hmm.
7: some Less
9: and I readmit. Yeah. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay, so then we direction. transition. Really we transition from that into. So we've looked at, at our supplies. We can drill down on that. We've looked at our clinical performance. We've looked at our service lines. We're drilling down, and then we've now we're looking at. Okay, what's our productivity? How are we managing productivity and resources? Keeping in mind and and, and remember that our greatest expense as an organization is salaries, wages, and benefits. It accounts for 70% of our total cost, right? So that's where you have the most measurable impact. When you look at this, it's giving you several indicators here. And it's giving us our total expense in comparison to the benchmark at the 50th percentile. So it's not the best performers, it's middle of the road. That's how we compare in the variance to that 50th percentile. So as you can see, we have quite a few opportunities in many areas. I'll I'll, I'll focus your attention on when you're looking at labor itself as it relates to this. All of those are interrelated. So when you look at the average hourly rate, we've done a great job as an organization to to stay consistent with the market. We pay very close to market. As you can see, we're plus 5%. Right? So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in, in the ballpark, and that's, that's, I think, a great indicator. And,
16: Lewis, again, this is adjusted for variability yes. based on geographical yes, location. Yes, sir. Absolutely. This is
7: immediate market here in, the, in Northern California.
9: This is, this is based on the entire compare group, but it's normalized to the market conditions. Mm-hmm. Okay? Then you look at, so you, you, you see the total wages. Our wages are very consistent. But then you look at our total hours worked as a percent of hours paid. Well, there, we're, you know, having a problem. We're, why, why, why is that? It's largely driven by the fact that we have, if you look at our benefits, so because we have very rich and, and, and generous uh, benefits, we have very, very generous benefits, you know, people can take a lot of non-productive time. And so when you're taking non-productive time, what does that do? Well, it affects your hours work versus your hours paid because you're paying for non-productive time, okay? That also then impacts your overtime. So when you look at overtime, we're also quite a bit over
0: based on the benchmarks. 146%. Correct.
13: Wait, and, and is this still on just hip replacements?
0: No. Or this no, no. Is over? Now we're looking overall. Okay. This, is okay. this is overall. So I just
9: went out to the magnet. Okay. We're looking at overall performance as far as, and only at Highland. Okay. Looking at this organization, so again, so I, I, this is the type of information that we're looking at. That now we can start drilling down and saying, "Hey, we have an opportunity. We need to look at our productivity. We need to look at how we're managing." Uh, our, you know, our activities, how we're looking at service lines, it will help us make informed decisions on do we want to continue to focus efforts on this service line or do we want to now focus on this sort of service line or what are the opportunities to either increase, improve, or modify?
13: And, and Luis, did you use this when you were making the decisions that you proposed around the yeah. cuts?
9: No, because we, not, not, not this, because we this is very nice. we, uh, we still have yet to fully go live as, as you saw in that previous table there we, we, we've been launching this now we, we've been using ODB the operational database we've been using for the last uh, couple years uh, we, we, that was the very first one because we, we had it before we had stopped using it as an organization and then we reinstituted it when we uh, initiated our contract with Visient. and so we, we provided them with new revised and updated data and then that, that started really laying the foundation for us so what I will say, though, in all fairness, looking at historical data and looking at the last four quarters, we've made improvements, and this is largely driven by the work that we've been doing as an organization to right size, to based on the information on the article, how we're looking at skill mix, how we're looking at our resources, how we're bringing people together, how we're you know optimizing you know the operation in a way that's getting us closer to the benchmark.
11: So there may can, be some can you? improvements in this. In these. Mm-hmm. these particular numbers because this
0: is quarter 18. correct it's one through four, four. it's 18. it's all it's all so it's all of
11: calendar year 18. Calendar 18 calendar. Yeah. Calendar yeah. Eight. all of so calendar, so calendar
9: like, year 18. Uh, we
11: so, a lot of work in,
9: so we've been doing a lot of work so we think that uh you know over the last six months in 19 we've continued to do some of that work so when we see
0: that comparison the,
9: the we submit data quarterly and so you know it's 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 you know, so we should our first quarter data should be available, right? We should have that. Uh, we should have it very soon because first quarter data was just submitted at the end of the second quarter oh, okay. of the year. So June or so we submitted data for first quarter, and so now we'll see we in September around September or so we should be able to see that. And so I can share the data for actually quarters one through four, and then first
0: quarter of 19. I should have all of that by so September. And so. that way you can do a, a two-year comparison. Right, we can do that. So but, can, Sorry, I, I just interested what is line
16: 3? You know where it has the 145 and the 78? What is that? You know, where
0: are you? Case mix index. Case mix? Is, is, it's, 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 case mix uh, oh. is that case mix? Line three. Yeah. Eight hours per CMI. Semi- Weighted, no, adjusted semi- for
11: discharge. Oh, okay. All right. What's, What's that, me? that mean?
0: What's that mean? <laughs> it's <laughs> Did you translate that part? I'm not seeing what
9: what line you're talking about. It's on the bottom. Third line. No. 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 From
10: the first first bullet. Case mix index. Eight hours per no. oh, oh. case mix index. Waited for adjusted discharge.
9: I don't know what that means. Correct. So (laughs) 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 So this is what this is taking, (laughs) essentially so your case mix index is an indicator of acuity. Okay. 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 So what this is taking into consideration is it's saying based on the acuity of your patients, depending, you know, the sicker the patients, the more care, the longer they're going to stay at the facility. So you're taking the acuity. That's going to have an impact on your discharges because the patient, instead of being here, you know, three days is possibly going to be here five days because they had comorbidities and their CMI was very high. And so we're looking at what how many hours of clinical care did it take for us to care for that patient based on the acuity that we're seeing in the so facilities. The
11: case, you're comparing apples to apples, that's the question. The second column, uh, seven days is the same sort one. of assumption. Exactly. Summed. Uh,
9: yes, the, the the compare group yeah, is looking talking. at exactly the same yeah. information. Wow.
16: Well,
10: the problem with this particular yeah. one is it's not going to be weighted very well because we're not very good in our current systems um, of documenting a case. Uh, we're getting better on our case yeah, mixings. Yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. why. We sort of haven't been ready for, in my opinion, we haven't been really ready for this kind of stuff amongst the service line analytics and the ca- case databases. When we still we mo- are. Really. When we move to Epic, though, right. you will get great case attribution uh-huh. by the doctor level uh-huh. and by the service level, and then by the case mix index, uh, the, our coding, our coding is gonna do this. It's just gonna get amazing. And then this data will be more reliable.
9: That's that's that, that's the hope. Yeah. And and but that's what we need to drill down. So I mean again I, I still would go back to say that when you're looking at some of the other graphs and some of the other data that I shared specifically in this example, it's it's you know it's really absent the documentation. It's actually looking at just tangible information as it relates to the total cost, looking at, you know, the the, the, the case, the number of cases and all that information, right? So but still again, as I mentioned, being very, very, you know, qualifying here. The, the, the intent of this information is to help us, you know, shine the light, provide clarity, and make sure that we're continuing to drill down. Okay? So, so that's what this, this this is. This is that database. you yes, sir.
0: Well, I just, I mean, I'd be, I'd be remiss to not call out what we called out in the Finance Committee, because we may not have all the, the data on the acuity of our patients yet until EPIC goes live, but we do know about our labor. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I, I, I mean... We're at 140 percent above the 50th percentile in overtime per, uh, hours mm-hmm. worked. So when a nurse complains that they made over $200,000 last year in overtime, and I know that one stuck. And there's <laughs> yeah, that one really stuck for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like poor guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, um, that says something. Well, but that,
9: that that gets to that gets to the point, and I think it was a comment that was made at the. Well, actually, I think Christy Quinn made uh, asked me a question at the finance committee, and and he he accused me of of providing a very politically correct answer. But I will I will actually I will answer it directly tonight, and that's the 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 reality is he. No, the question was, are we culturally ready for this? Is the organization ready for this? The answer is not really. I mean, that is the reason why you hear. A lot of the public comment. You know, when you have staff coming up in the you know public comment saying, We don't have enough people, we you know, we, we uh, you know management is continuing to reduce staff, they don't give us enough resources, they don't give us enough staff, you know, we you know, we, we we can't get our job done. The data and the information suggests differently. Mm-hmm. It suggests that you know what, we are in comparison to all these other facilities, and when you're looking at these facilities and when you're looking at these compare groups, there's a very, very detailed definition criteria that is applied, and you're looking at when you're comparing an ICU, it's comparing an ICU with, you know, code blue teams, you know, that have rapid response that, you know, use uh, relief nurses that, I mean, it's really getting, so you're getting as close as possible to that comparison. And so... It, that's that's the reality. So I mean, when, when we hear these statements, when you hear these statements here, it's you know, we're we're what we're doing is what we are tasked with, and what our responsibility as an organization is to make sure that we're trying to operate as efficiently as possible, maintaining the highest level of quality,
0: access, and experience. And so that's what so we're trying to wait, do here. Before somebody else asks a question, so. The overtime. I mean, I mean, we have to deal with that, but also, the one that I think is a little bit trickier is the benefit expense, 158 percent. Explain that. I we, you,
7: you, we,
15: yeah. first of all, we're carrying the legacy pension costs. So, we a public pension plan. That's not the norm. You know, 22 percent of base salary for most employees is going into a SARA. That's a cost that we're going to carry for all the employees that go in into tier. Tier 2 Sarah, right, which is goes up to a max of $265,000 of earnings. Post-prepper, which is 2013, employees that went into ACERA went into Tier 4, and we pay 22% up to a dollars $120,000 of earnings. That's a cost we're carrying on those employees, and we'll be there in perpetuity. Our health plan, where we provide other than Kaiser, is free. Um, with no uh, share of the premium and very few co-pays that is an enormously expensive plan Mm -hmm. and and it's a very rich plan in terms of the benefit it provides not just the cost of what we're paying for the premium but also it's a very rich plan in the services provided within it 10 to 12 chiropractic visits all of that comes at a cost and so that is where we're bearing that heavy cost health benefits retirement plan even the plans uh, for those not in Sarah so the employees who are in uh, CNA, is a multi-employer plan. Ten percent of their salary, no contribution from the employee. Those are the things that are adding up there, uh, plus the health plan, dental plans that we provide for our employees. And,
11: and if I could add, if you go back and look at the, the budget that we had in front of us before we pulled back, and you look at expenses, uh, Those costs that we're talking about right now, salaries and benefits, those are where there's out-of-control costs over time. I mean, compared to what's happening on the revenue side, it's really stark. We have increases, incredible increases on 70% of our our budget, Mm -hmm. and revenue that is decreasing at the same time. So it's sort of a simple way to go right at where our pain point is.
17: Yeah, I guess, you know, I'll make a similar comment that I did before, is that wanting to go a little deeper, and I know that this sets Mm -hmm. us up to do that, but, you know, does the fact that we provide these things translate into uh, better retention, employee retention rates, or lower turnover rates, those things have a cost to them, so are those benchmarks that we can, you know, that we can look at as well, Um, just to kind of go a little deeper, I, I Obviously, I mean, to me, with the overtime issue, I mean, we have to be talking about operational efficiency and staffing levels and making sure those are tight. I mean, I think that we knew that, you know, already. Um, But I would just like to know more about, you know, go a little deeper on on contextualizing this. Um, The second part would be, you know, really on the savings actualizer piece, um, which is a really exciting tool. And I also want to be careful that we're making sure that we're distinguishing between supplies that we're purchasing that we just need the lowest cost to get the job done versus uh, you know implants and things that are specialty items that we actually recoup or we are able to bill for and so just you know also wanting to get the little bit of the the nuance there for sure
9: yeah and, and we and we certainly look at that and, and again that, that's the intent I mean the intent for the tool is to help us break down by these types of service lines and anal- and service lines and equally going into so moving on here i'll again this is just to show how all these come together i mentioned the data links and how it's the cleansing tool this is the one that this is this is uh, demo data I wanted to be very clear this is demo data because this is the one that was read in our in our document because uh, it's, we're waiting for epic go live before we can start uh, populating and gather, getting to this level of detail. But I wanted to just give you a sense of what it what it what it does, and so you're now you you can get down. What we were saying as as an example, to the physician level, yeah. and looking at these key metrics for the physicians. So again, uh, just the intent today was to number one. Uh, give you an update on, on some of the great work that's happening uh, related to uh, the contract that we approved a year and a half ago. Uh, the work obviously has been uh, uh, tremendous uh, to try and gather this data, to go through all the definitions, to meet with the leaders, to make sure that we have the right comparisons. You know, so all this work is, to, to me, uh, in fact, I will tell you that I delayed rolling out operational database for two full quarters only because I wanted to make sure that there was fidelity to the data. Because if the people don't trust the data, there's no, no progress is going to be made. And so I can stand by all this information. I can stand by the data and say, you know what, no. This has been vetted. This is exactly where we're at. And we do have a very accurate comparison. So now we need to get beyond that. And let's work together to see, how can we look at our operations? How can we start addressing some of these issues to make the necessary improvements? And so we're, we're getting there. And so once we go live with Epic, we'll have even more information. And we'll be much more robust. But this is what 's guiding our performance, and so it ties back to I think the conversation that will happen tomorrow but and back to the beginning of the presentation, the articles, this is what we do. this is operations, and this is how we make things happen to make sure that we manage everything as efficiently as possible to ensure that we can uh, meet our targets and our goals. Yeah,
12: and I think you know this is fabulous, and um, this is the what, and then also to use a, a lot of the qualitative data as the how. Uh, in the QPSC uh, Dr Barbaria uh, presented on the ambulatory um, the call center mm-hmm. and she spoke about uh, you know the primary care how they have reduced the time on the uh, you know the abandoned calls were 20 25% and now they are 5 and how the specialty clinics where um, the same staff would use uh, would handle maybe uh, you know, 2,500 calls, now they're doing 5,000. Like, the call numbers have doubled, um, and the wait times are are, are, they are pretty much the same with the same staff, but the engagement levels, when they said how they were able to get that productivity out of folks too, like, they were part of the solution of, like, we should call at this time, or this is the time we get more feedback. So I think it's a lot of things that also go into, like, um, it, but this is this really drills gives you a chance to snapshot and look at where the pain points are or where the hot spots are and then drill down into like what might we do to uh, do that including uh, with labor being so high how do we use our workforce
0: yeah professor uh, um,
13: so when i look at all of this and thank you so much this is fabulous um I can't quite agree. Thank you so much. This is really fabulous. I really appreciate this presentation. It gives me a lot of hope about getting to a place where you can really look at the data making for better decisions about how to be more efficient, how to be more effective. Um, It does represent a significant culture shift. And you mentioned a moment ago, are people going to be ready for this? And I don't want to underestimate that because um, and Tony, you know this, I I think this is going to take an enormously um, clever and well thought out strategy around how to make this palatable so that people understand, wow, when I see that I'm performing and, and, and doing these things, um, this is feedback and feedback is good and feedback makes you grow and feedback you know, makes you a more successful person. It's good stuff. It's not bad. It's how it's going to be presented that I think we have to be really careful of so some kind of a campaign you know even like what you did with Sapphire naming it what you did and all of that that's the same thing that I believe you're going to have to try and craft for this otherwise it you know I think that there are some places in the organization where this will be damn, you know, they got all that data, and now they're coming after me. And that's not you know, what that, you want, it's, right? It's you the
10: difference between being a cl- an instrument of clarity versus being big brother. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think if we could implement a, a system to regularly update all of our partners. So I think NUCO are going to want these reports mm-hmm. um, on a regular basis so mm-hmm. they can, the doctors, the providers can, can monitor each other. I would think our labor partners would want to see this, uh, would want to see what their benefit costs are, what their hours worked are, Um, and again, not necessarily in a punitive way, but in an informative way. Um, As partners. As partners. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And um, the sooner the better.
10: Yeah. Liz, can you uh, remind me what the details of the contract with Vizient, were? I just can't remember. I'm sure we approved it. How how much does this cost in Vizient?
9: So these tools uh, so and, and again so this, that we had we, we, yeah, we had a down. we had a 3-year contract the way that the, the way the GPO contract is structured is it, there there is there's a cost to the tools but it is offset by the administrative fees that that we, uh, that, that we that we get so uh, based on all of our purchasing we get a percentage back of what we spent right there's administrative fees that are paid and we get a percentage back based on that on those rebates that we receive it offset these expenses the total cost for these tools is like 70,000 we get back several hundred thousand in administrative fees and so this is a wonderful contract i mean we're halfway through the contract and and you know my hope is that leveraging these tools and continuing with these efforts where well, we're going to continue uh, moving forward
17: right. yeah i was just going to say one thing i think we need to be mindful of is, you know, especially as we do this sort of like physician head-to-head comparisons and things like that is, you know, to what extent are we standardized across our sites um, Mm -hmm. in terms of like the composition of teams, um, facilities, you know, tools that are available to folks. And so I think this, it's good because it kind of forces us to take a look at that as, and, and not just for a point of comparison, but really to make sure that everyone is maximally equipped and also that um, you know I think in general, we're moving towards more team-based care in a lot of settings, and so that it's you know obviously physicians are our leaders. Uh, of their teams, but it is still a team. And so, you know, being able to, I think, in terms of the campaign or, you know, kind of the the rollout, I think it can be a real opportunity to kind of do team building and to not necessarily make it just about Dr. A and Dr. B, but really about these different teams across kind of disparate systems uh, or sites, I guess, um, and and an opportunity to see where we can standardize, too. Yeah.
11: Thanks.
0: All right. Thank Thank if, if there are no further questions, um, I really appreciate. Um, it made even more sense to me this time <laughs> than it did two weeks ago. So, like, that's less go. politically
17: correct. I Maybe mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's why. Which is, <laughs> the, better. <laughs> <laughs> is the better way? <laughs> uh, I think it's. I, I believe we're at the end of our agenda. To, to, uh, to uh, uh, me? Um, <laughs> <written laughs> report. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I guess we're going to um, adjourn to close session. Right. Uh, which,
2: what? which we will be uh, really judicious because we'll be together all day tomorrow so. <laughs> right. just to right. a few <laughs> follow-ups and then we can unless you have show. questions with you. Yeah.
0: No. let's go the board adjourned from closed session at 8.55 and uh, we didn't decide anything